The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are our own or those of our guests, and in no way represent the views of the companies, associations, or organizations that any of us may work for or represent. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they were told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Ident. You're listening to Squawk Ident, an aviation podcast that explores the many pathways to an aviation profession, the challenges that a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony, a professional airline pilot currently flying for a U.S. legacy airline with close to 20 years on the flight line. Welcome aboard Flight 113 of the Squawk Ident podcast, recorded on the 6th of July, 2022 from the Aviator Sound Studios from somewhere in Southern California. On today's flight, Rob and Alex join me as we discuss recurrent flight training events that Aviator Tony recently went through at Legacy Airlines, some of the new scenarios he experienced in the simulator, and how to settle the nerves most pilots experience leading up to and during training and checking events. We also revisit one of our favorite outlaws. That's right. Jetpack Man is back. Did you fly this holiday weekend? We explore some of the holiday travel issues and what airline pilots are dealing with as news of pilot shortages, pilot contract offers, and mismanagement issues are flooding the headlines. Sully steps down as ICAO ambassador and what happens when an engine manufacturer finds imperfections in their latest engine designs? We'll find out. We also revisit aviation security and a recent video that has gone viral showing a Jordanian aviation charter airline incident with a security guard. So stay with us as we run our final checks and prepare to push off the gate. Flight 113 of the Squawk Ident podcast is officially underway. Joining us today is a superb aviator and Squawk Ident co-host. He is a former international professional racquetball champion, a member of the 9G Club, an AMP, an avionics tech, an RC aircraft commander, a boat skipper, a commercial drone operator, and currently an Airbus pilot for Legacy Airlines. The name we use here on the show is an alias to our employer, a U.S. mainline carrier. Fresh from his daughter's national volleyball championship tournament in Indianapolis, Indiana. Help us in welcoming back to the show our very own Mr. Rob D. Rob, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. Uh, it's good to be back. Uh, yeah, it's been a whirlwind of uh, travel and volleyball and just all kinds of busy stuff going on with the summer. Yeah. So uh, it's good to sit down and, and chat it all out with you guys. Yeah. And, you know, in the pre-show, it's been a, about, what, three weeks since we recorded the last uh, podcast. It's been yeah. very hectic uh, schedule-wise. I know I've, I had some training um, and yeah. I, I had planned on doing an update right after that training event was finished, but I kind of rolled mm-hmm. right into more flying and we had some events that happened, um, with our schedules and uh, with the industry mm-hmm. at large, we've all kind of seen yeah. those headlines in the paper and in online and everything. Um, so that's been a little bit interesting. Uh, a lot of phone calls yeah. going back and forth. A lot of us have been talking about these contracts that have been offered and then pulled and offered and pulled and, you know, it's a, it's a big mess. Uh, hope we're yeah, not going to sure dive too much into that today, but we are going to scratch the surface on what it means to us as pilots. Uh, Rob, in the pre-show, you were saying that you didn't really fly much. You've had so much going on with the holiday and your daughter's yeah. volleyball tournament. What flying have yeah. you been able to 
acquire? Well, um, in the previous podcast, we talked about uh, my fishing trip that I just came off of. And um, in order to do that fishing trip, I, I had to back up a whole bunch of flying um, at the end of the month just to make that schedule work. So I did do a lot of flying right up to the end of June. Um, I flew about, uh, well, I think two weeks, two and a half weeks straight with maybe one, you know, just basically the, the FAR legality of, of, you know, 168, what is it? 168 hours and, and the 30 hour break in between all that. So, um, I did fly, uh, a bunch of trips and one trip was memorable. Um, I flew with a, uh, a captain that I had flown with earlier in the year. And so we, we had a good trip and had a good, you know, a really good uh, relationship going. And we worked this one trip and it was just hilarious to us because uh, we had basically eight legs scheduled in like a three day or a four day, four day period, of eight legs. Only one of the eight legs was on time. <laughs> and the other ones were, were, the other ones were just crazy off schedule stuff. Um, so, and it was nothing to, had nothing to do with, uh, you know, weather or, or anything. It was all like mechanical APUs were broken. Um, you know, something going wrong with our late inbound. Um, and it, it, it was just, you know, we kind of looked at each other and just rolled our eyes. I'm like, man, this, this, this is horrible. Yeah. You know, it's like, even on a perfect day, it's hard to put together a, you know, perfect schedule. So anyway, uh, did a lot of flying, spent a lot of time in New Orleans. For some reason, the only trips that I can trade into to make all that stuff work had a lot of New Orleans overnight. So um, got got to capitalize on some Cajun food and some seafood, nice. ate a lot of, ate a, little, a lot of crawfish. Yeah. Um, went, went down to the French quarter and what is it? Cafe du Monde got, uh, you know, oh, some, yeah. uh, ba- some beignets, uh, beignets and, oh, yeah. and coffee. So heart attack uh, in, a, in a, in a bag. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and then of course in the morning too, when we went to work, you know, I, I've got a bag of beignets at the airport and, uh, yeah. you know, you can see all the crew members that had beignets cause their uniforms are all powdered and, you know, white, <laughs> a <laughs> white substance sugar. of some kind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's funny. But, uh, you know, it's like when in Rome, you gotta, ha- you gotta do it. Yeah. So, uh, it was good. That yeah. was a good trip. So, oh, good. Yeah. You know, I'm glad you got, a ch- uh, some, some time there. Um, the French quarter yeah. is, is quite beautiful, not just for the food, but for the architecture, the history, the, the jazz music, yeah. you know, did you find any it live was. music, uh, restaurants when you there? Well, you know, we didn't, you know, I think a lot of that stuff happens in the evening time, mm. um, yeah, I'm sure they have some select places during the daytime and the way our schedule worked, we were only able to go out like for lunch and stuff like that. So, um, we kind of missed like, you know, probably the uh, happy hour of, of, uh, New Orleans. And, uh, so it, but you know, Hey, it wasn't that bad. I, I kind of like to avoid that kind of stuff anyway, but, right, uh, right. I think it would be kind of cool just to experience it once, but I'm, I'm not really a big, you know, big, uh, ad not advocate, but I don't like to really go out and seek that kind of stuff because I don't like crowds and I don't like staying up late. I guess I'm getting really old. <laughs> so <laughs> you gotta get to sleep. Six yeah, PM. I do. I'm tired. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I need so yeah. 
yeah, you you know, fly late and uh, yeah, gotta sleep in and yeah. get up early and do all that stuff. So yeah. Anyway, yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you had a good time and, and you got to fly with a familiar face, which is always so, so very comforting. Um, yeah. You know, it's like flying yeah. with a friend. You know, you 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 ninety percent of the exactly. time you're flying with someone you've never flown with before. When you have right. fifteen thousand plus pilots in your company, odds are you'll fly with someone, and you might not fly with them again for years. Um, right. Yeah. And, and which which is funny because uh, I ha- in my simulator event, uh, I looked at the my sim partner, a captain, mm-hmm. uh, LA based Airbus captain, and I looked at him and I went, "We've flown together before." And he goes, "No, I don't think so. I don't remember <laughs> you." I went, "Nah, nah, I don't forget a face. Your name I don't recognize, but your face, right. uh, we've flown together before." He goes, "Nah, I don't think so." And then, like an hour oh, into it, he was it was bothering him that I said that. And he looked in yeah. uh, his lightsaber app, and he goes, "We flew together once in night or in two thousand and nineteen." I was like, "Yeah, yeah." Uh, yeah. He goes, oh, "Yeah, we did a funny. DCA." Uh, da, da, da. And I was like, "Oh, that's cool that mm-hmm. you know the app will tell you the history of, of the people <laughs> yeah. you flew with." So yeah, we had a good time, we, but you know, yeah. yeah. And you just triggered a uh, a memorable moment on that trip, actually going into New Orleans. Um, we were late. We were late arriving. I mean, it was, I don't know what caused the delay, but we were late probably like an hour. And uh, they had signed us a gate. And so we landed, checked in with ops, said, hey, you know, we're on the ground for gate. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm, guess, I'm just put, spitting out a gate there, B-14. Sure. They're like, all right, yeah, gate is occupied. Go ahead and go to the pad area, and uh, we'll call you when the gate opens up. So, all right, so we, you know, go to the pad area. And then we hear, um, you know, plane call for push off of B-14. And uh, so we're like, okay, cool. We'll be, you know, we'll head over that way as soon as uh, you call us. So meanwhile, there was an RJ, contract carrier, Mm -hmm. uh, 175, also waiting to park. Mm. So you might be able to figure out where this is going. So our gate pushes. They call us. They said, all right, come on over. So we we get out and we start taxiing over there. And next thing you know, that RJ pulls into that gate. Wait, with or without permission? They were getting marshaled in and everything. Oh, boy. So we, so we, as we're approaching, we're like, hey, uh, what gate did you ask us to pull into? They're like, uh, B-14. We're like, well, there's another airplane parking there. They're like, yeah, it should be 2576. I'm like, okay, well, I am 2576, and we are not at B14. There's an RJ175 parking in B14. <laughs> They're like, well, they should not be there. You should park there. I'm like, well, it's hard to park there when there's another airplane there. So where B14, I said, B14 is available. Would you like us to park there? They're like, no, we need you to park on B6, B, you know, 16 or whatever. Sure. Uh, I forgot. I got it all jumbled up there, but next door. They're, they're right. like, yeah. yeah. And they're like, well, you, uh, the, we want you there. I'm like, well, okay. We, we're not going there because there's another airplane there. I was like, I'll tell you what, the guys are marshaling us into this gate. We're just going to park the airplane here. You guys can sort out the gate differences later. <laughs> so we just pulled in. The lady's like, no, don't do it. And then I'm like, sorry. Who's on first? You know, this is, this is too crazy. <laughs> yeah. On the St. Louis team, we have uh, who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. That's what I want to find out. I want you to tell me the names of the fellas on the St. Louis I'm, team. I'm telling you, who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. You know the fellas' then, names? Yes. Well, then who's playing first? Yes. I mean, the fellas' name on first base. Who? The fellow playing first base for St. Louis. Who? The guy on first base. Who is on first? 
Well, what are you asking me for? I'm not asking you. I'm telling you who is on first. I'm asking you who's on first. That's the man's name. That's whose name? Yes. Well, go ahead and tell me. Who? The guy on first. Who? The first base. Who is on first? Have you got a first baseman on first? Certainly. Then who's playing first? <laughs> Absolutely. So we just pulled in. Gate, you know, Jeff Bridge driver pulls up. They're like, where are you guys coming in from? We're like, Miami. They're like, okay, good. Close it, you know, opened up the door nothing you know yeah let everybody out it's not so a big deal it's just kinda... that that you know now all the passengers that were waiting for yeah they have to do a gate swap and all that stuff you know yeah yeah and it's literally next door so it sure. wasn't like uh two terminals a major yeah but i'm sure all the bags that were going on that other flight ended uh, up on miami flight <laughs> right right <laughs> so that kind of bit could have been an issue but Logistics. anyway that was just uh <laughs> yeah that was that was uh you know one for the storybooks and yeah. um yeah kind of shake your head sometimes and it's amazing that it's amazing you know with all the the moving pieces in, in our operation that uh you know this is this is a, a hiccup yeah. that you know it really isn't a big deal in the big scheme of things yeah. and you know it's amazing how we can actually move people and and bags and all over the world and just have these little little hiccups and really not affect you know yeah. the, the bigger bigger picture so it really is yeah. a it's, it's it's a complex operation, and it really does it take a lot of moving parts. And a lot of people find it big, easy yeah. to complain and go, ah, oh, mismanagement and this and that. And there's exactly. truth to that. There's absolutely truth yeah. to that. But at the same time, you know, you try doing it. It's 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 the, it's, it's really the protocols a, really a and logistics to, yeah. to operate uh, an airline of this size with multiple carriers. It is not easy. So we gotta yeah. we gotta keep that in mind when we yeah, sit exactly. there and are quick to judge. You know. But yeah. I want to move forward and let's get our next uh, host introduced here. Joining us today is another exceptional aviator and flight instructor. He is a U.S. Navy Reserve's Chief Information Systems Technician and a new hire first officer at Sandpiper Regional, the alias to one of our legacy airlines' wholly owned regional airlines. Joining us from the second floor of the La Quinta Inn in Suites in Euless, Texas, where he's getting ready to demonstrate his superior simulator skills later today, for his maneuvers validation event. Help us in welcoming back to the show, Mr. Alex Daigle. Alex, how the heck you doing? Doing fantastic. Uh, it's been a minute. Uh, did get to see you in uh, Texas on your recurrent. Oh, that's uh, right. We have to uh, put that audio on here on the show today. Yeah, that was that was fun. We got to talk to uh, my buddy Mike uh, with uh, with you and kind of get a different perspective of how training's going. Um, and that was, I want to say right before we were starting our simulators. Oh yeah. So you were getting ready. Yeah. The next day, I think. Yeah. The, so we were, we were basically just hanging out, doing nothing to, to then the next day, start our Sims. And, uh, it's been eight Sim sessions later. And what are we two weeks? I don't even know at this point, two and a half weeks since then. Yeah. Yeah, something like that, that we've been uh, going at it, um, got through all eight lessons, yeah. and now I'm on to my news validation, so that comes uh, here in, uh, what is it, 1.45, so next few hours, I'll be going through my maneuvers validation. Yeah, man, I'm glad to hear that you're prepared. Uh, you were telling me about your <clears throat> event yesterday, you had a little extra time in the simulator, and you basically went through the whole event uh you know before today's big you know it's a checking event it's not it's not pass or fail it's not a type ride but it is definitely a you know a stage 
check, right? You have to pass your maneuvers validation. You, have, you basically have to demonstrate everything you've learned to do your V1 cuts and your single engine approaches and your single engine landings and single engine go arounds. And then you have to do, you know, all your different kind of maneuvers that they want to see you do, you know, turns and stalls, whatever they want you to do. Every, every airline has a different program set up for their checking event for that particular aircraft. So, um, yeah, I'm glad to hear that you, you had that opportunity yesterday. Yeah, no, it's, it's, that's the one thing that I like about, uh, at least I can speak from, uh, on, uh, Sandpiper's training department is sometimes the lessons that you're going through makes it seem like it's a 20, 20 pound turd crammed into a five pound sack. (laughs) It's the correct family way to put it. Okay. Okay, man. (laughs) Um, that was, that was me putting it politely, um, But some of the some of the lessons feel like that, and a couple of the lessons just feel like wow, that, that was four hours already. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, um, but yeah, it's that's one thing that I like is that they prepare. You know, they 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 don't want you to fail, and that that's with AQP now. It's gone are the days of look to your left, look to your right. One of you's failing. Now it's look to your left, look to your right. How are you guys going to help each other? Yeah. Yeah, because that's how it happens on the line, right? That, that's what the TEM model, the threat and error management model is all about. It's no longer about, you know, don't help the guy next to you. Now oh. it's about what would you do in real life? You would help each other out. You wouldn't just sit there and go, you're going to crash. You're going to crash. You know, it would just would not happen. So the simulator events have incorporated that mentality that that we're there to help each other out. Now, if you're dragging the dead body next to you through the sim event. Okay. That's a different story. Okay. Then it's like a little come to Jesus moment uh, where the person that's being drugged through the event going, look, man, you're not prepared. What's happening. What can we do to, to make you prepared? You know, do you need an extra sim? Do you, you know, what are you not getting? Um, so it's a much friendlier environment nowadays. And I think that all has to do, and Rob, you know, you could probably back me up on this. It has to do with the fact that they need us. They need you. It's not not, uh, picking teams for uh, football. You're going, I pick uh, Billy, and okay, I pick Johnny. He's he's a really good runner, and I pick Susie. And and then the the people that suck are like bench warmers or, you know, (laughs) doing positions that, okay, fine. I guess I'll take Tim. You know, those days are over. (laughs) Now it's like, come on, everyone, let's go, let's go, let's go. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, it's, uh, you know, without – without making it sound wrong or bad, they, the, uh, the way they hire, they're hiring now it is a lot different than when they were hiring, you know, after, uh, you know, pre pre pandemic, or I'm say pre pandemic, but right before, you know, like a, a furlough or something like that, right. where, you know, they're, they're a little more choosy on who they wanted. And, and now it's like, if you can fill out an application, um, you know, come on in, you know, some places are like, look, training starts on Monday, just give me your application. And we'll see you Monday. And they're letting the training department and 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 the whole that whole process work, work itself out rather than trying to interview the person and, and, you know, decide if they want to, you know, if they fit part of the culture or anything like that, they just need bodies, they need people that are willing to step forward and, and do the job. And (laughs) I got to tell you, it's going to be challenging for us, Tony, as we upgrade to captain and, you know, we may have to uh, yeah. help mold these new aviators that are 
at our company with the culture and everything like that. And I still think our culture needs to change a little bit uh, for the better uh, from what it has been previously. But uh, yeah. anyway, you know, big no, story is you know, we need bodies to fill the seats. Yeah. And I think it's more of a, a, a financial or a fiscal reaction. You know, when their times are good for the company and they don't need to hire thousands of people every year because of the demand, then instead they can, like you said, they can pick and choose and they're going to pick the people that they feel are the most qualified for the position that are going to take the least amount of training because training costs money. At the end of the day, it comes down to, is this pilot trainable? Will they get through under the minimum time that we're going to allow for the training to happen? If we have to spend more money, more time, more instructor pay, more simulator events, more ground school on another pilot, then they're not going to go with that pilot. But now that the pool, the hiring pool is just not big enough for the demand, then they were willing to spend the extra money. They're willing to give people a little bit more time in a simulator. So if you kind of are not getting a particular aspect because you don't have the experience behind you that you've seen these things before, now the companies are willing to spend a little bit more money on your basically training. Whereas in the past, they wanted you completely trained already and all you're doing is going through the motion so they can tick mark those boxes. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Well, well, we'll see. Yeah. And and recently I was in my recurrent training. Now this is not my first, uh, R12 as they call it. So when you're at an airline, you know, you have to go back to the, what they call a schoolhouse to be trained periodically. Now, different airlines have different training programs. We were on a, was it a nine month cycle before this? Rob? Yeah. Yeah. It had a R9 and R18. An R18. So nine, nine month cycle. Yeah. Nine yep. month cycle. And, and some other airlines were 12 months. Some other airlines were six months, um, training cycles. And what you're doing in training is it's usually for recurrent training. You're not learning a new airplane. You're not in a new position. You're not upgrading a captain. You're just going back for your recurrent training event or RTE. Some people call it when you're doing that, there's always one day of ground school. And then that one day of ground school, they talk about human factors, which is my favorite class because that's where you see all the, the incidences and accidences and, and, and accidences. <laughs> and uh, you see all the, <laughs> all, the, all the things where people did something wrong, they messed up, and it was caused by human error. Um, and not just pilots. We're talking about rampers and mechanics and, you know, flight attendants, gate agents, everyone, everyone involved in the company, any kind of incident or accident that happened, any fender bender that happened out on the ramp um, is then kind of reviewed. And they always pick one or two major events that the airline has seen Mm -hmm. in the past 12 months. And they highlight that with videos and simulations. And so you can kind of understand what happened, what went wrong. And it's all about teaching us how to recognize the errors that we're not trapped. Um, And that's my favorite class. We also have a systems class where we review the systems that are on the docket for that cycle. Um, And then we have uh, another class that's usually a crew security and a crew, I forget what they call it, but it's usually conducted with flight attendants and pilots together so that we can kind of dispel some of the, the erroneous ideas of what each department does. 
And it's kind of a way to make us all kind of work on the same page. Well, that hasn't happened since COVID um, was was happening. So uh, not quite yet uh, this year. We didn't have them join us, but I was told that on the next cycle, they will, um, that we are now reducing the protocols to the point where it really was just business as usual. Um, yeah. Then after that one day of ground, you have three days, at least at Legacy, you have three days of simulator event. Now, traditionally, the simulator event was one day of uh, simulator maneuvers and approaches and things like that with a simulator instructor, not a Czech Airman. Okay. Now, this is a person that doesn't necessarily even need to be typed on the airplane. They're just a teacher. They're an instructor. Mm. And that's what we had. Um, an interesting thing that happened, that's where I met my my captain uh, for the simulator events on that day, day one, and we figured out that we had flown together before. And we're sitting there, we're kind of chit-chatting at the beginning of our session in our briefing, which you get about an hour and a half of briefing before you go into the simulator, so you know what you're going to do. And the simulator instructor said, hey, we have a an observer. They're not here for you, they're here for me, because I need to get observed three times a year. And so he's just a fellow sim instructor in the department who's going to be observing me and you know we're it doesn't have to happen today if you guys feel uncomfortable with him being here just speak up and we can reschedule it it's not like it has to happen today and we're like oh, okay yeah that's fine we're fine with that so about 10 minutes later a gentleman walks in and he's wearing an n95 mask on top of another n95 mask <laughs> and we both kind of looked at each other like uh okay and he goes if you're curious um yeah, it's it's COVID. And we went, wait, what? He goes, yeah, uh, I guess five days ago I tested positive and they told me that I have to isolate for five days. Today's day six. Um, they, I told them, can I stay home and do I have to come to work? And they're like, no, you can come back to work. It's been five, it's been uh, six days. You only need to isolate for five days from the positive test. They didn't even want a, another test indicating that it was negative. They just told them, yeah, show up to work. And he goes, but if you guys don't want me here, like he didn't even enter the room. He was like from the doorway. He's like, if you don't feel comfortable with me here or in the simulator, speak up now or forever hold your peace because I'll just go home. And the captain, the captain was very hesitant. He was like, I don't know. I, I don't think five days is enough. I think what happened to 14 days of quarantine and all that stuff. And he goes, yeah, they changed all that. And they're, and they kind of want us to come back to work because we're so hammered and you know, we need to get this done. Yeah. And then the simulator instructor goes, are you guys okay with it? Cause I'm, I'm okay with it because he's wearing a mask and he's going to be behind you guys. And I mean, but we're in the simulator. So it's like four hours of in a box. And I looked at him and I, and I looked at my captain, my captain was like, I could see it. He just, he wanted to say no. Uh, but at the same time, he didn't want to be the one to kind of stick his foot out and, and say, Nope, it's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> so I looked at the, the, second instructor and I said if I'm uncomfortable with you being here today do you get to go home with pay and he goes it's funny you should ask me that he goes yes I would get to go home with pay and I looked at the captain and I looked at the instructor and I went well then and then the simulator instructor our normal simulator instructor goes yeah okay let me stop you right there uh will you go home and work on the schedule for the simulator he's like yeah that's what I was going to do he's like okay yeah I'm not comfortable go ahead go home <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> well, so we both kind of went, okay, because um, that would have been hard to explain. Like you knowingly had someone, yeah. but the protocols have changed. And boy, how yeah. far we have 
come from the beginning of this whole thing to now where it's like, yeah, I had it five days ago, but everybody says, go back to work. You don't need to be here. I think they're treating it just like the common flu now. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I really do. Great. I think that's what kind of wish we were able to do that a while ago because a lot of people lost their livelihoods or jobs or Mm -hmm. businesses, obviously their lives too. And that we can't forget that. I mean, it was, it's a very serious serious thing but um it's nice to see we're at this stage now and yeah yeah let's just so, move it on back to business and that's what we did back yeah. to business we had that first day of sim uh pretty much the same stuff we normally do uh yeah i was nervous um but <laughs> nothing major nothing major yeah. happened um went back to the hotel at the end of that event i had the uh slot that it was a 8 30 a.m showtime for the pre-beef and then it was uh, 10 a.m. sim. So you nice. went uh, 10 to 2. And then you had a, like, wow. you're supposed to have like an hour debrief at the end of it. But we yeah. pretty much debriefed. But you LAXers are used to those red eye stuff. So thank you. Yeah, uh, it wasn't. It wasn't. It kind of fits right into your buckle. <laughs> well, that, it wasn't too bad. It really wasn't too bad. Actually, the first day, yeah. I, I, I misspoke. The first day was an evening event. So it was like 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. until close to midnight. And then the next day, it was like exactly 10 hours, whatever it was. So I think it was 10 p.m. And then I had to be there at 8, 8.30 a.m. So it was exactly 10 hours. Oh, okay. I, I was thinking it was the other way around. Yeah, no, it was, get, it was a really late night the first night. The yeah, okay. and then early morning on the next two events. So that was kind of a, okay. like, wow, that's 10 hours of rest between simulator events. That's that's kind of weird, yeah. but whatever, whatever. Yeah. So we just showed up. And uh, on this day two, this is where the change was. On day two, we normally would do the maneuvers validation and that's pretty much it. And, and it was pretty Im- impacted. They would do like stalls and things like that too. But instead on day two, we did maneuvers validation on the first half. Then we took a break for about 10 minutes. And then on the second half, we basically did our rad, which was the maneuvers like controlled flight into terrain, how to avoid in case you get, uh, you know, to avoid sea fit. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we got uh, wind shear. We got all that stuff. And it's always... You know, it's under, it's like, they call it first look. So they're not supposed to tell you it's happening. You're just supposed to just kind of go, but it's trainable. So if you don't kind of get it right, they help you through it until you get it right. And there was plenty Mm -hmm. of time for that. Then uh, on, here's the funny part. We went back to the hotel in the afternoon and we both looked at each other and go, hey, uh, I'm going to take a nap and then we'll get together for dinner. We can study for tomorrow because the next day is the big one. That's where you do like a flight you know, nonstop flight, and they'll throw like a, a non-normal procedure in the middle of the flight. And the simulator uh, check airman who's in there, uh, they're not helping you. They're acting as ATC, flight attendant, ground personnel, whatever, whatever you need. But they're not there to train you or help you. You're just supposed to work together, use the, the threat and error management model, and figure it out. And it was going to be a JFK to Los Angeles flight. And I'm thinking, that's a long flight. And traditionally, traditionally, they, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're diverting somewhere. So go ahead. Right, right, right. So, and I read the gouge, which there's plenty of gouge online on the actual company website. There there also is airbusdriver.net, which is a great resource for legacy Airbus pilots. Um, And they, people that go through, they'll, they'll put up like a blog going, Hey, this is what I saw. And this is what I had. And um, so I I reviewed some of that, but very minuscule because I kept hearing Roger. 
in the back of my head going, you airline guys, all you guys study, you should know this, you know, what are you studying for? <laughs> You're making yourself nervous. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so we went back to the hotel and we walked into the hotel and this is at the, I won't say which hotel it is, but it's, it's the traditional default training hotel for legacy airlines. And I dare say that Sandpiper stays there too. And there yeah. was no air conditioning. In the whole building, they did not have wall units for each room. It's all central air. Wow. And oh, so we gross. walk in. And by the way, there was a heat advisory for Dallas-Fort Worth <laughs> really? that whole week. We were 102 in, degrees in outside. In June and July, there was a heat Can heat you believe advisory? that? So oh. I get to my room, which was on the fourth floor. And my room on the fourth floor was hotter then because the yeah. heat goes up, right? It was hotter than when you walked in the front door. So I was like, this is not going to work. So I text my captain, hey, I'm going to give this an hour. If they don't get the air working in an hour, I'm out of here. I can't do this. And he goes, okay, let me know. So I called downstairs. I'm like, how much longer? And of course, they were curt. I'm sure they were full of phone calls that day. And so after an hour, I just started packing up my stuff. And I made a phone call. And I called the training department hotel desk. And I said, Hi, this is uh, First Officer Tony. And he goes, he just interrupts me. He goes, do you want a new room or not? I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. Uh, is that what people are doing? Or are they changing hotels? And he's like, do you want a new room or not? I'm like, uh, yes, sir, I do. It's 102 degrees in my room. I want a new room. He was like, okay, uh, call me back in half an hour or check your, your training management system, your TMS, and I'll put a new hotel in there. I was like, okay. So I packed up my stuff and I got everything ready. And I went downstairs and I went to go check out. And the 22 year old behind the front desk was like, What do you want? I'm like, um, checking out. Where are you going? <laughs> I'm checking out. He goes, Fine. And so I give him the key. And, and he, yeah, he was very curt. Uh, and so I'm, because that's all he did is everyone was bailing on his hotel. And <laughs> so I'm sitting there waiting for transportation and waiting for a hotel. I didn't even know what hotel I was going to. And so I finally called him because I was downstairs for about 10 minutes. And uh, he goes, yeah, yeah, you're, you're going to the Holiday Inn back over here and wherever. And, uh, and I was like, okay, how do I get there? And he's like, well, you got to take the bus to go back to the training center. And then from there, you got to wait for the bus that takes you to the second hotel. And I'm like, that's going to take like an hour and a half. Oh, so I look shit. outside and I see the, the van that was going to take everyone to the airport. And I thought, that's what I'm going to do because the airport's air conditioned and I can, you know. So... Meanwhile, a busload of people that are checking into the hotel shows up, and oh, they're all no. waiting in line to check oh, in. God. And I look crew at them members? and I go, "Well, some of them were crew members, and some of them were, you know, whatever." And I look okay. over and I go, "Are any of you guys checking in?" And like they were like ignoring me, like, "Who's this crazy guy?" <laughs> and I go, "Because there's no air conditioning in this hotel, by the way." And they all went, "Wait, what?" I'm like, "Yeah, they're not telling <laughs> anyone. They're not telling anyone at check-in that there's no air conditioning because it's not too bad down here on the first floor." And they're like, oh, so a couple of them turned around. The guy gave me a dirty ass look. I walked out <laughs> yeah. and I took the bus to the to the airport. And then I was calling them going, hey, I'm going to be a terminal A or whatever, uh, you know, send a van. And I waited maybe five minutes and I was in the new hotel within 35 minutes of when I left the first one. It was it worked out perfect. Nice. And I, I actually had an air conditioned room. I could get my rest and I was ready for my basically checking event of the recurrent training. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, that last day was, was actually pretty cool. And what I did was, yeah. you know, it's a normal departure. The captain goes, you're flying this leg. 
And we did that because, hey, if we're going to divert an emergency, what does a captain usually do? He hands the airplane over to the first officer so that the captain can coordinate with dispatch, with, with SOC, with the station wherever we're diverting to, with ATC, with the flight attendants, with the PAs to the passengers. The captain's responsible for coordinating all of this when we end up at a destination other than what's planned on our flight plan. So normally what happens is the captain will hand the aircraft over to the first officer until all the coordination is complete, and then he or she will brief the arrival, the approach into the alternate destination. And then if the captain was the one originally flying, they'll take back the aircraft, land the airplane, you know, crisis averted. Then we, once we're on the ground, we figure out what else is going to do uh, with diversion criteria, information the company needs and all that stuff. So since we kind of had an idea that this was going to happen, we just said, Hey, you know what, Tony, you, you fly the first, this leg, you know? And so that's what we did. We took off, everything was normal, and then the the check airman goes, okay, and by the power of uh, 3,000 mile an hour winds behind you, okay, you're now uh, 200 miles from Los Angeles. I'm like, damn, that's a strong jet stream, bro. I'm going in the opposite direction, too. Uh, so... <laughs> So uh, real life scenario. Yeah, Go real ahead. life scenario, yeah. right? It could happen. Um, the perfect storm. So, so we, That's we hilarious. so we're getting there. And we're like, okay, well, we, we should probably brief the arrival. So the second the captain goes, okay, let's brief the arrival. We're gonna be descending on the angel and ding. Oh, what's this? Cargo smoke. Oh, okay. Is, uh, that's a uh, good one. My aircraft. Your aircraft. Yeah. All right. Is that an ECAM exception or you know? Is it a quick action? Quick action or you can't exception. So you look at it. Aha, uh-huh, there's a trick. Because there is a uh ECAM exception for yeah. cargo smoke on the ground. All right. Okay. And Not if you're and if you see the header cargo smoke and you don't read the second part that's in brackets saying on the ground, you might be triggered to go through that event, which would be incorrect. So he goes, okay, um, what do we have? Cargo smoke. Okay, Tony, uh, continue flying the airplane. I'll run through the, the follow-up items and the ECAM procedure. Like, okay. So he goes, why don't you go ahead and declare an emergency uh, because it's going to have us divert. And I said, okay. So I took care of that while he was running through the checklist. And we were looking over each other's shoulders probably every 30 seconds to go, okay, you know, does, does he got everything okay going on on his side? And then he would look over my side and go, okay, does he have everything okay going on my side? And what I was involved in doing, once I declared the emergency, they immediately said, all right, you're going to your alternate Las Vegas. Okay. You're cleared tra- Las Vegas via this, this, this. So I am flying the airplane on autopilot and writing down the instructions. I have to change the destination in the flight management system, which is not something we do every day. Then I had to load an approach. I knew it was Las Vegas, so I had to load the single-engine missed approach procedure in the secondary flight plan. I also had to put in all of the land app criteria because it's considered a high elevation airport, plus it was hot. So even if it wasn't, I still had to run the land app because the temperature was hot. Um, And I had to start an immediate descent because they had us high. And so I was doing all this, loading everything up in the, in the 
in the FMS, what they call the box, right? But some some instructors don't like it to be called the box for whatever political correctness. Whatever so we call reason. it, we yeah. call it, you know, the FMS system or the FMGC, Flight Management Guidance Computer. So I, I do all this, and I'm I was prepared. I was Johnny on the spot. I didn't sit there struggling, looking for pages. I ran everything. I got it all set up, and by the time my captain was finished with his checklist procedure, he goes, all right, Tony, where are we at? And I said, okay, autopilot's on. We're descending to this 1,000 feet. We're cleared this arrival on this approach. Here's the ATIS information. The secondary flight plan has been, act has been loaded with the single engine procedure. The land app has been completed. You need this much runway for this particular weight. And whenever you're ready, I will take a briefing from you and then you're aircraft. And he's like, okay. <laughs> he, he actually, <laughs> so we did it. And at the end of it, you know, this lasted maybe an hour and 45 minutes in the simulator, the whole from takeoff to touchdown. And we, we came through, we landed. As soon as we stopped on the runway, he goes, all right, my simulator, great job, guys. He goes, um, you know, I've been doing this since January 1st, which is when the, or February 1st, which is when this scenario has been going on. He goes, most of the time, everybody misses one or two things, and that's okay. It gives us something to talk about in the debrief. He goes, as long as it didn't affect the safety of flight, it's not a disqualifying thing. He goes, you guys hit every single box. He goes, great job. Thanks for coming prepared. Yeah, we got the whole the clapping and everything. Everybody was happy. You <laughs> golf know. clap, golf clap. And I was like, yep. oh, yeah, you know, yeah, no problem, yeah. <laughs> and pat each other on the back a little bit. We took a, like a 10 minute break and he goes, Hey guys, instead of taking a full like 15, 20 minute break, let's take a 10 minute break. Let's get back in there. Let's knock out everything else we have to do. And we thought he just wanted to go home early, but yeah. come to find out what we normally would do on day three of the simulator, which was the control flight into terrain, all that stuff. We didn't do any of that because we did it on day one of the sim. So we did, we flew into, I think it was Aspen. So we had to do that whole procedure into there. We had to do the NADP-1 procedure out of DCA, which is new. new. So if you're yep. departing at a DCA, you don't uh, level off at 1,000 feet or 1,500 feet. Now it's, right, it's not 1,000, it's 15 and yeah. 3,000. 15 or 3,000, yeah. Yeah, plus we had to load the single engine procedure. And we thought, hey, this is just the NADP-1 training event. And it was my leg. And as soon as we hit V1 rotate, ba-boom, lost an engine. <laughs> Lost there the right engine. So what happens oh, to the airplane? It wants to put you right, right into the PLVIA, which is the yeah. prohibited P56. area. Mm -hmm. yep. Which, did you know PLVIA is prohibited? P56 in Roman, no in Roman, Roman numerals. numerals. Yeah. Dude, I'm, I'm so wicked. Smart. I'm wicked smart. Alex's yeah. expression just went. <laughs> I was wondering the name of that, like because we we talked about it. We we you know we were flying in and doing something with DCA, and we set up the PLVIA, uh -huh. uh, a little what is it mile ring that they have us set around there. And right. Yeah. I'm like, why the hell? What's what's the significance of PLVIA? Why yeah, PLVIA? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Why can't they do like what they used to have before, you know, the five letter um, identifier for White Houses, WHTSE or something like right. that. Yeah. That would have been a great, yeah, uh, you yeah. know, database reference for the White House. But, yeah. hey, they got to make it more complicated because I cannot do Roman numerals. And I, the only reason why I knew that is because somebody else told me. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know, I, I wouldn't have yeah. figured it out either. So, yeah. Yeah. so talk about it's like when you're reading the FARs and, you know, you get into the to the sections and they start referencing Roman numerals and letters and stuff like that. I, I always kind of just say it out loud. I'm like, yeah, with exception to 61.99.IVI. Rome. <laughs> just, <start> re- <laughs> just read them out and you're like yeah, i don't know what that is oh, that's yeah. six or 12 i don't know you skipped that day of third grade huh <laughs> yeah I would, i'm sorry they didn't teach us I, roman numerals back in third hey, grade you, what really hey, you you don't even know what school i went my education was fantastic fantastical <laughs> Yeah. so that's what happened and, and i was not expecting that at all so the yeah. airplane kind of went like I was looking Boom. at the the ND the navigation navigation display and I was like oh crap so I like now I'm high banking it to the left to try to counteract mm-hmm. and then I was like oh yeah rudder <laughs> the yeah. slip skid indicator was all the way on the other side I mean yeah. no one died <laughs> the yeah. simulator yeah. did not you know go red screen of death um, but yeah. you know it happened and the captain was like I was not expecting that at all I'm like you weren't <laughs> neither was I <laughs> and the instructor was just cracking up laughing he's like and that's why we do that because that's what would happen in yeah, real life? What would happen? He yeah. goes, but I want to see it again, Tony. Uh, guess what's going to happen? I'm like, okay, I'm ready now. <laughs> <laughs> and that time it was like textbook, happens. you know? Yeah, yeah, it was textbook, you know. Uh, but that was that was my th- uh, four days of of recurrent, three days of simulator, one day of ground. Um, it was a really good experience. Um, my captain was so prepared, and I was so grateful to have flown with someone who I just kind of clicked with. Uh, from the very first start um we did do uh after all that you know craziness we did end up doing a 58 page ecam procedure oh wow i did not know we had a 58 page ecam procedure and for the life of me i can't remember it was so traumatic i just rammed up the whole thing um but (laughs) something came up and 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 i don't know what it was it was it was with the adrs Okay, and oh, it, it was boy. not the uncommanded pitch or anything that we used to have a memory item for. It was not that. It was something else. I think uh, we took off with an MEL for the number two ADR, which meant we had to use a switching panel and you know grab the information from the number three ADR. Uh, air data uh, reference system, something like that, yeah, right? ADRS. Like um, yeah. so, they, so basically the computers that give heading and, and, and all that information um, – one of them failed. There's three of them on the Airbus, mm-hmm. and we were grabbing information from two. And then once you get like level off from this, you know, section of the training event, uh, your other two basically fail. Mm. So you know, wow. what are you going to have? And so they went through like five different scenarios because it's 58 pages. Because there's like five different scenarios that you can have. Mm-hmm. You can have two fail, one fail, three fail, all fail, uh, some fail. Mm-hmm partially some you don't have any instruments but your backup some you can have yeah. everything um so we went through all of it and at one point the instructor looks at me and he goes tony are you okay <laughs> i'm just sitting there <laughs> with like glassy eyes going uh, <laughs> i gotta tell you some of yeah the way some of these things are worded in the qrh are it, it's tough to read it i mean you have to really slow down and and go, you know, almost, I mean, you have to go word by word. I mean, normally would, but I mean, some, some QRHs, like I remember the 175's QRH was very, very, just read it. And for the most part, it made sense. You know, the steps you were doing, everything that you were 
um, doing made sense. As far as the Airbus, you, it, it's like the way they word things, It you have to like think backwards like the way they're doing it. Like, for instance, like when you're doing our uh, land app stuff, when, you know, the criteria for, for, um, for a standard landing criteria, mm-hmm. it, the way they word it on that thing, it's, it's so, you know, it's like, if it's not 7,500 feet or less, <laughs> right. or if it's not this, I'm like, well, wait a minute, just tell me if it's 7,500 feet or less, I have to do it. You know, it's like, you know, you, you have to like switch your brain around to, to read the QRH and, yeah. and some of the, and the manual stuff. And if you had to go through a lengthy procedure with a bunch of, you know, uh, with a bunch of steps or, or uh, yeah. a bunch of procedures that you have to, um, you know, really, really focus on, uh, it can, it can get pretty, uh, daunting. Yeah. And I think the only reason I have always kind of got it is because I can remember back to my freshman year of high school and I was in my computer science class and we were learning turbo Pascal. Alex, that's a, that's a computer program that people I, use. To- <laughs> I'm aware, Tony. I'm aware. <laughs> and there was a lot of if then or or what they called boolean logic. Yeah, I saw that. I'm number one. Uh-huh. Uh, boolean logic, right? <laughs> if then, and that's how you would write these programs in Turbo Pascal. Is yeah. like, okay, if yeah. you know the input is this, then yeah. run then this code. Then you do this, right? Yeah. And so, and yeah. it, and the logic in your QRH is going to be identical. So, like yeah. you said, Rob, you really, really have to read those lines and yeah. translate what yeah. you just read into logic, because a lot of times yeah. you read that line and you're like, like you said, you know, if it's not this, and it's possibly this, but not that, then do this. But you have <laughs> to choose one of these. Yeah. If it's this or not that, then do that, but not this. And you're sitting right. there going, yeah. what? Yeah. <laughs> and thank God it's hyperlink too. Yeah. Hyperlink, hyperlink. Yeah, hyperlink. that's that's a nice thing. That, that back it. in the day, you used to have to thumb through pages. pages. Yeah. And then you forget which page you started on. And right. you, know, you could have to refresh. Oh, boy. I remember when we anyway. used to like take paper from the printer and we would rip it into like little tabs. And as you're running the yeah. QRH, you would stick that paper in, in there. The paper and then you'd go to the next part. And then it goes, yeah, yeah, go back to where you were, and you would have it bookmarked with this you know, ripped paper. Yeah, ACARS paper. Yeah. yeah, I used to do that. Those days are yep. over. <laughs> yep. I, you know, I've got to say, I love having the iPad and running that QRH because you get the – the ours has the very beginning, and it's all the ICAST messages. And Rob will probably remember this. It's yeah. hyperlinked. You click the hyperlink. It takes you there. Take if you, you need you go. to go back, there's on the bottom, there's like a little back arrow. It'll take yeah. you back to the previous page you were on. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. Lucky. I, I think I'm we lucky. use the same comply 365 or <laughs> yeah, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, but hey, cool. guys, I want to talk about something that's just so exciting. Now, we dispelled right. this, okay? We, we thought, oh, hey, the FBI has investigated... It, it's uh-huh. clear. It's a balloon. It's it's just a balloon, a mylar balloon shaped like a, a, a character from a movie. It's no big deal. But maybe it's not. Jetpack Man Boy. is back. FAA investigating new report near LAX. This is from an article that I pulled off of Fox LA by KJ Hiromoto on June 23rd. And it, it's just... I was so happy to hear this. <laughs> Is the infamous Jetpack Man back? I think you're giving this guy plenty of, of exposure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's like a, a legend, right? According yeah. to the Federal Aviation Administration, an airline pilot reported 
spotting something resembling a jetpack near LAX around 2.35 p.m. on Thursday. We heard that uh, Jetpack Man is back, air traffic control said in audio obtained by Fox 11. I have a report of a jetpack at 4,500 feet over a gate in the section, which is six miles east of your present position. We have audio. Thanks to this report, let's take a listen. 626 heavy tower. Go ahead, 326. Hey, we just got a report of Jetman coming back at 4,500 feet over gate. Do you happen to see anything out there on final? Uh, say that again? Yeah, we heard that the Jetpack Man is back. I was wondering if you saw anything on final. No, we didn't see Jetpack Man. Ah, you missed out. Okay, have a good day. Sheriff, hey, uh, you got uh, time to go chase the Jetpack? Traffic for Sheriff, please. Have a report of a Jetpack 4,500 feet over uh, gate intersection, which is about six miles east of your present position. All right, Sheriff, please. Look for the, uh, we're going to go on just north of the 105, west of the 105. Sheriff, please. Roger. Report on station there, and uh, that might need to be passed on to another unit you've got. But, yeah. So from Fox Station, they have the audio for that. Um, you know, it's possible that it was just another confirmed sighting. The fact is that a guy in a jetpack, this isn't the first time the jetpack mystery was made uh, headlines here in Los Angeles. Back in December of 2020 over Palos Verdes, he made a very brief run at the center of uh, internet rumors and uh, conspiracy theories after the Sling Pilot Academy shared a video on social media showing a what may resemble a guy in a jetpack. Months prior to that, the FBI jumped into investigation on a different case near LAX as a jetpack guy was reported being spotted around 3,000 feet in the air near passing aircraft. Now, we, we kind of like have <laughs> been talking about this guy, possibility of a guy in a jetpack. Now, probability is low because... Yeah. If you were taking off in a jetpack, you don't think the neighbors would be sitting there videotaping every single second of that? I mean, this would have yeah. to be like some monster gorilla uh, jetpack in a van jumping out, taking off in the middle of the, you know. But this is in the middle of the day. Or how about yeah. somebody with all these ring cameras or, or doorbell cams or whatever? You can't totally. tell me that, that there isn't footage of him taking off. Right. Right. I know. There's got to be something, man. I mean, they're able to catch, you know, murderers and, you know, child molesters and all these things going on and they can't, there's got to be something out there that can see it where he's taken yeah. off from and landing from. I still think it's a balloon. I really do. I think it's like either an astronaut balloon or a party balloon or a balloon that made to look like some kind of, I don't know, space cowboy, but... I don't know. Anything's possible. It could be a guy in a lawn chair and a drone. I mean, we've heard of people doing it with hot air balloons and, and you know, helium balloons and, and a rifle. Remember? Yeah. <laughs> what was you that? Know, yeah. 1970s? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I want it to be too. real. Hi. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, I do we too. want it to be real because we want, we want to, you know, the balls on that guy. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. No kidding. I, I, I want it to be real for a multitude of reasons, but like it's, it's a balloon. I, it has to be a balloon. Yeah. 
In all seriousness, yeah. though, can you imagine how dangerous that is? I mean, you can imagine when a seven-pound bird gets ingested into an airplane. Engine, Ask Roger. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, exactly. Can you imagine a 200-pound man with 100 pound of gear on it? Metal gear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Just, this is crazy. And we're going to hear more about holiday travel, the untold truth about the pilot shortage, right after this break. Nice. Yeah, more enjoyable. Pro, pro, yeah, <laughs> protein shakes and and you know. Wow, more God, I've got the, the cockpit smells wonderful with you in it. Yeah. No, uh, you know, actually, uh, I don't do the what? white protein. Uh, <laughs> what did you say? Don't. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I've been doing the soy protein. It doesn't affect me that much. What's going on? Yeah. Uh huh. Or sure. I'll do it. I'll do it like at the end of like on the descent on the last leg. That way, by the time I get to the hotel, then it's like. <laughs> Freaking windows <Shut> shaking, <laughs> and you're like, a person next to you in the room next to you is like, "Hey, keep it down." <laughs> Courtesy flush, please. Courtesy flush. <laughs> Light a match in there or something. What's this purple purple fumes in here? <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. <laughs> Well, we've been talking about all kinds uh, of stuff like ground, uh, school, simulator events, ecamp human procedures. Factors. <laughs> human factors. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the Jetpack Man. But now we're going to talk about something that really, you know, it's hard, but everybody is being bombarded by headlines of cancellations and pilot shortages. And we're going to just dive a little bit into it. We're going to kind of scratch the surface. From a pilot's perspective, from you know a couple pilots and and that have been in the industry a while, and a pilot that's now coming into the industry uh, that grew up in the industry really, uh, but coming into his own, uh, so we can kind of get our perspective. Uh, is the news media getting it right? Um, if I had to put a number on it, I'd say about fifteen to twenty percent of it is correct. Um, there are probably a good eighty percent, eighty-five percent of what they're not talking about. Uh, we're not going to dive into it in with such details because that would be an entire like three episode oh. podcast right there. <laughs> Just, you know, and may, maybe that's something we want to dive into in the future. <laughs> but uh, for now, we're just going to kind of talk about some of the headlines. Uh, one of them, it was a really good article that uh, came actually yesterday, uh, July 5th from the Washington Post in an article by Lori Aratani. Uh, and she wrote, uh, a nice piece uh, entitled Holiday Travelers See Fewer Flights Cancellations, Still Some Headaches. So it really wasn't as bad as we thought it was going to be. It wasn't smooth, she writes, for everyone, but the busiest travel weekend of the year was not the disaster some had feared. The Independence Day holiday saw fewer flight cancellations compared with recent holiday weekend despite a large number of delays. Between Friday and Monday, 1,435 flights about 1.5% of the scheduled domestic flights were canceled, according to flight tracking website FlightAware. That number was down from 2,653 flights that were canceled during the four-day travel period over Memorial Day weekend. The July 4th travel weekend also brought fewer delays than Memorial Day, 
even though about one in five scheduled flights experienced disruptions, according to FlightAware. So really, it sounds like it wasn't that bad. The Federal Aviation Administration, which the airline industry has blamed for some of the flight issues, said in a statement Tuesday, it took several steps to ensure that aircraft could operate safely over the holiday weekend, including adding alternative routes, putting more air traffic controllers in high demand areas, and increasing over time to keep air traffic moving over the holiday weekend. In the days leading up to the July 4th, Buttigieg hosted a virtual meeting with airline executives, pressing them on what steps they were taking to improve performance. And we talked about that actually in the last show. We did. I can, I can say from personal experience this holiday weekend, um, so my family was in Tyler, Texas on uh, the last week. Um, they came in uh, the day before, so the first. They came in to... They were going to leave and travel out that day to go back home. Well, the flight from Tyler to Dallas was just slammed. So flying standby was non-existent. Mm -hmm. So they drove from Tyler to my hotel. And then the next morning, we all got on the plane the next uh, morning. I was on a a go-home pass because it was my parents' 50th anniversary that day. So I, I needed to be home. Congratulations to them. Yeah. Yeah. So it, that's huge. I mean, 50 doesn't happen anymore. No. So, yeah. Um, but I, uh, it was, it was weird because I was on an A3 pass and they were on standby and I was like, well, it doesn't look like we're going to get on, but maybe I can give up my seat, you know, and I can go in the jump seat and try to work all these workarounds had a not so pleasant experience with one of the gate agents. Really? Oh, terrible. You don't say. <laughs> terrible experience huh um the the guy that i was working with at the uh, the agent was fantastic and then the supervisor came in mm. uh, but anyways we all got on the flight <clears throat> good that's amazing yeah it's yeah. amazing sometimes when you're non-revving yeah. and, and it's no way of knowing as a as an employee but sometimes yeah. the gate agents know that there's going to be 20 misconnects mm-hmm. and yeah. so you look at it and you're like there's only one open seat and there's five of us there's no way we're going to get on so you don't even try, but then all of a yeah. sudden you, you try, you get there and you're like, yeah, you all got seats and you all got seats together. Congratulations. And you're like, wait a minute, what? And, th- and that's yeah. what happened is like, it was basically something like that where they were talking they're like, well, we got two locals and the, the rest are all, you know, through travelers and they're not here. Mm. So. Yep. Yeah. We didn't sit, yeah, we didn't to my sit wife. together. My wife and daughter, they, they non-revved up to Boston on Thursday and the flight was Leading up to it was like, uh, you know, red with like five seats available or something like that. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, you wake up in the morning and you look at the loads and the non-rev list is like 25D and they're like number 12 or 13 yeah. as a D1, you know, because of the rollovers. Yeah. Right. You're like, dude, this is just crazy. It's not yeah. going to happen. Yeah. And next thing you know, they're like, hey, we got on. I'm like, how in the world did y'all get on with only five seats? And you know, a lot of people just didn't show up. Yeah. And so they were able to get a seat, which uh, that happened for me and my daughter coming back from Indianapolis. Uh, mm-hmm. Same same scenario. Um, that was July 4th. Uh, leading up to that day, the loads actually looked really good for that. And oh, it's why we kind of chose to travel back on July 4th because the loads were uh, really light. Yeah. And um, again, the day before, things loaded up. And uh, next thing you know, there's 
only like three seats available. And of course, if I'm just traveling with my daughter, we only need one. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, we had a couple of uh, non-rev oversales on, you know, come out, come onto our, our flight. So they got seats and then that left one seat and get it just so happened to be first class. Oh, so my daughter Darn. was like, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. he was in heaven riding home and it was a window seat. Fourth of July evening time. I told her, you know, as we descend in Dallas, make sure your head's out the window looking for all those fireworks displays because that's a pretty cool perspective for us. So yeah, I was up in the jump seat and I saw the, you know, the, you know, the great view from up there and then, course my daughter uh had her view and she came came off the airplane with a whole bunch of iphone photos of uh some of the displays so anyway yeah the loads are crazy man yeah yeah and and that's gonna be the norm now probably for the next 90 days is you know loads are gonna be crazy uh, you know employees are not going to be able to non-rev anywhere you know they have different they have different classes so you have a positive space non-revenue uh, then you have your just standby non-revenue, and then you you know yeah. in those classifications you have your through passenger through. So like you started in LA, you end up in Dallas, and then from Dallas, you're gonna connect with another flight as a non-rev yeah. to say Baltimore. Well, you get a higher priority once you're in Dallas because you've already flown one leg, so you're now you're a through passenger. Um, yeah. So those get higher priority than just a regular D2 or D1 or however. Yeah, you know, it still goes by check-in time, but you're right. They still, you know, if they yeah. checked in earlier for the previous flight, then they, Obviously, they will right. get a higher, get a higher uh, level priority. Yeah. So, And all this is, you yep. know, being blamed right now in the media by uh, pilot shortage. They're saying, oh, there's a pilot yeah. shortage. Now the companies and some, some media outlets are getting a lot of it right in terms of, well, you know, they, they had early retirements during COVID and they let people go. And some people retired early just for the fun of it. Some people were given uh, severance packages to leave early. Uh, I mean, we have pilots that are going to be collecting full employment or full pay for probably a couple more years because they took one of those packages. Early um, yep. And here we are, you know, the <laughs> statistic that I was told while I was in the schoolhouse by the simulator instructor was the previous year, the company was able to hire 1,456 new hires and get them trained and out the door with no problem. And it was the most they had were able to train on top of doing all the recurrent training that was required mm-hmm. for the year. It was the biggest number that they've had. I think he said ever. And then as soon as that statistic came out, the company goes, we're going to hire 2000 pilots next year. And everyone in the <laughs> schoolhouse went, wait, There's no what? way we're going to do that. We, we barely just squeaked through with 1,450 and now you want us to do 2000. That's not going to happen. And at so the time theory, they were, they were going to close the, the Charlotte training center and, and right, just have all yeah. the training in one location in Dallas. And, and yeah. Yeah, right. yeah, they, that they reneged on that too. Obviously that, that just yeah. can't, they can't do it now. We have Czech airmen that are stepping down because they're being overworked. They're exhausted. Uh, and they're like, there's no end in sight. They're flying like 90 plus hours. They're in the simulator for hundreds of hours a month. Um, they're, they're, they're just wore out. 
You know, in the simulators yeah. and ground schools, they're going almost 24 hours around the clock with just only a few hours every day for maintenance where they're down. Was from. there any uh, stats given to you about how many people they have actually hired up to this point? Because uh, it would have to be a thousand if you kind of do the math, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. However, of, he did say that yeah. they've had some very, very large classes come through in the last uh, 60 days uh, and they've all been able to get them trained. Um, I did wow. see a lot of numbers of pilots coming in for recurrent and then they would do their ground school and then they were sent home on day two because they didn't have a simulator instructor or a seat filler or something. And then they go home and they have to, they, if they're still qualified, they go back on the line, fly their schedule for another month until yeah. they can go back. So, and that's what happened to you. Well, no, I was going to say, I, I raised my hand cause, uh, I'm kind of banking on that. Believe it or not. <laughs> I have, uh, I, I, I am currently in my base month. Okay. So next month is my grace month. Right. And they were not able, I bid for and did not get awarded training in oh. June. Uh -huh. I bid for and did not get awarded training here in July. And oh, now wow. we're going into August and I just got my bid award. And I, <laughs> I know I, I, I just bid a few classes that, you know, seem like the right days. Sure. I really didn't have any team. Anything serious going on in next month that I needed to really be, um, you know, have the time off for. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of randomly bid. I got the 30th of August. So, so if I turn into a pumpkin, obviously on 31st. So, wow. So if you don't, you know, there's any kind of pass, delay, they're, they're going to make you a priority. If you don't pass, then you go unqualified yeah. and you cannot touch an airplane until you get qualified. That's right. Yeah. Yep. So, and that's happening. So we'll see. Uh, and then, yeah. but the, they're so like, it's kind of like the healthcare system in this country right now. You know, you go and make an appointment, you're going to wait to go see your doctor. Yeah. And then if you need a follow-up appointment, you're going to wait because they're, they're just so backlogged. There's just not enough healthcare providers, healthcare professionals. They just can't keep up with the demand rubber band effect that we were talking about two years ago from COVID. All those people that weren't going to the hospital in fear of catching COVID while they're in the hospital, which some still do. And mm -hmm. so what's happened is now everyone wants to get in now, but of course now their ailments have progressed and they might need a little bit more, more treatment. And so it's, it's overrun the system and the numbers are down of healthcare professionals because a lot of that during the time when vaccinations were going to be required and there were those that didn't want to take them, they ended up leaving the profession entirely. So yeah. you have a less number of professionals available. You have more people trying to get appointments and it just, it just makes a huge backlog. And it's no different here in the training environment for major airlines in this country is that, you know, yeah. we had all these people, they parked a bunch of airplanes. Those people had to get recalled. I, I was told that everyone that was waiting for their new aircraft equipment um, training has been able to go through. Uh, they, they knocked that out during the COVID protocol uh, time. So they were able to get everyone that, because they stopped hiring for a little bit. So they got everyone in to their new equipment. So no one's supposedly waiting to get into their new equipment. Mm -hmm. But what's happening, like you said, Rob, which may happen to you, is people are getting pushed into their grace month and then they get pushed out of qualification and they're like, well, sorry, we didn't have an instructor for you for day three. You're going to have to come back for that. We're going to have to reschedule it and we can't schedule it this month because it's full. So you're yeah. kind of either on a wait list where they call you and go, hey, can you come tomorrow? Um, or 
you get to sit at home. Go ahead, give pay. me a call. I'll I'll be on my boat. Just let me know. Yeah. When it's time. <laughs> I'll be fishing. Well, and, and let let's also not look at or let's not forget about us too at the regionals. Like we're experiencing yeah. the exact same thing you guys are, except the only difference sure. is you guys are poaching off from us. <laughs> so we don't have anybody coming in the door. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, there was a time yeah. years ago when you know we were crying pilot shortage and the main lines were going, there's no pilot shortage. I don't know what you're talking about. We got plenty of pilots to pull from. We got application stacks this this tall. But as yep. checkman at the regional airlines, Rob and I were talking about this going, no, 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 we're scraping the bottom of the barrel. And what's gonna happen as soon as the floodgates open and all these flow throws flow throughs leave the regional. So you're gonna have people leaving off the top and you're not gonna be able to fill just the regular attrition from the bottom, now you're going to have an increased attrition through the people going to the mainline. And what's going to happen is all that contracted out flying that mainline does with their regional partners, that's going to shrivel up. And and so yeah. what's going to happen is they're going to have to either pay you guys a lot more money. Oh, wow. Is, is that, like I heard that before. Is that what's happening? Oh, Amazing. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or, yeah. you know, or, or uh, they're going to feel the effects at mainline. Oh, wait. Right. Is that, is that how oh, they are? Oh, oh, wow. I, I think we might have got, got off, off track here, though. But the, the whole, when we started out the story, though, weren't we going to talk about what, what's going on with so, all the flight cancellations and everything? So the flight cancellations, we were going we to talk about how you know, they anticipated because of this pilot shortage. And is that accurate? Mm -hmm. Is it accurate? Yeah. Okay. And is the reporting that we're receiving accurate? Well, Bill O'Reilly had to get in the mix. And, uh -oh. and he put, you know, a, a story out on June 23rd titled The Untold Truth About the Pilot Shortage. And I'm going to share that with you guys. Airline chaos continues. Just yesterday, JetBlue, my favorite airline, 38% uh -huh. of their flights delayed in the United States. 38%. I mean, really. So, um... The West Virginia airport director, a guy named Nick Keller, said this quote. We're going to put it up so you can read it when I read it. There are pilot shortages and a lot of early retirements when COVID hit. Those pilots are not coming back. Then you have other pilots that age out. That is what is leading to some of the issues you're seeing now. This is according to Nick Keller. But the Airline Pilots Association says that's not true. So... One of my crack producers started to investigate this. Her name is Samantha Marciano. Now, I asked Sam, you, you really want me to tell everybody your name? She goes, yeah. All right. This is entirely on her. She went to the Airlines Pilots Association and said, is this true? There's not enough pilots. That's what's causing it. All right. And they said, it's not true. Here are the stats. Put them on the screen. In 2021, all right, and actually the last 12 months, 8,000 new pilots have been certified. 8,000. In 2020, 4,000. So double the amount of pilots have been certified than they were in 2020. Nobody will tell you that. Nobody knows that except us. So what the airlines are saying and what I've said from the beginning, they're lying. They're lying. They just are so disorganized across the board and have scheduled so many flights that they just can't staff 
whether it's a pilot, flight attendants, mechanics, whatever it may be, but they're not going to take those flights off the schedule so we get hosed. That's what's happening. Now, they got $54 billion from us, taxpayers, for COVID relief. They could easily staff it and give everybody a raise, but they don't want to spend the money on personnel. So anyway, great work by Samantha Marciano. You'll hear that nowhere else in this country. I hope that's worth your time and subscription <laughs> to BillOReilly.com. You know, I, hold on, let me stop this one. Now, so Bill O'Reilly, okay, right-wing commentary about the country, about economics, about politics. Don't really follow him. Um, occasionally, you know, I'll, I'll see a, a blurb or a video of a comment that he made. Um, I didn't like a couple things that he said about that. Uh, and it's, it's not his fault. He's just... So commercial pilot certificates does not equate an airline job. Nope. Okay, we know this because we're in the industry, but maybe somebody that's listening, hello, listener, how are you? Maybe someone that's listening may not equate this. They might not know this. So a commercial pilot certificate is something that you get. Then after much time behind the controls of an aircraft, minimum 1,500 hours for an ATP unrestricted, then you can start applying and in some cases, as our very own Alex has demonstrated, at 1,480 hours or something like that, they're like, yep, but you're going to get the rest of the time in the schoolhouse, in the simulator. By the time you, you have to go for your ATP, you're going to have the minimum. Um, and, and so there's, there are ways around it. We've talked about this on the, on the program before, that there are restricted ATPs going through a cadet academy, having military flight time experience, um, going to an accredited university and getting an aviation and science degree. Uh, all these factors come into play. You can get a job before the 1,500 hours. Don't get me wrong. But it's not a commercial pilot certificate. Now, a commercial pilot certificate is great when you want to get a job uh, flying around, most of the time GA or corporate flying. But in this country, in order to be in the right seat of an, of an airline, regional or otherwise, you need a minimum of an ATP. And that was after the Colgan crash in Buffalo, New York, that killed everyone on board. And it was, they, they deemed it pilot error on both the captain and the first officer. Um, and it was just a horrific event. And it changed the way we now have jobs at the airlines. You no longer yep. can get a job in an airline holding a commercial pilot certificate. Nope. So the statistics are great, but one does not, it's apples and oranges. One does not mean there are plenty of pilots out there for the airlines. And then look at the numbers. Uh, what do you say? 2,000 something versus 4,000? Eight, eight and four. Eight yeah, and four? Eight, yeah. Eight, four yeah, so eight and four. That's 4,000 more than we had last year in commercial pilot certificates. Even that, that's not even, that's not even enough for one or two airlines, let alone oh, all of yeah. the airlines in the country. The, the only thing that I'll say on that is he did say that it came from Alpa. So maybe that's where he's getting the numbers and maybe yeah. just, he but doesn't know. Did because say APA or was that Alpa? It was Alpa. Alpa, Airline Pilots Association. Yeah. Which um, Alpa so represents a, a very every, large handful. <laughs> yeah. Not everyone, but you know, like they don't represent uh, Southwest or American and, and a couple others out yeah. there. They have their own unions. 
Um, there is talk we've talked about here on the show that, you know, we may not have a national seniority list. That may not be something that's practical right now in this industry and capitalism and all that stuff. But we could definitely every single airline in the U.S. be part of one union instead of instead of multiple unions. That could help. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the the, the issue is and, and he did hit this correctly. It's not just the pilots. It is mechanics. It's it's fuelers. It's flight attendants. It's it's uh, baggage handlers. All of it. It all comes into yeah. play. Well, he said I, mismanaged, which yeah. I agree. I I hundred percent uh, agree with him. Yeah. At the end of the day, of, that's what uh, it is. It's a mismanagement yeah. of the resources you have. And if you're given billions of dollars in in bailout money, yeah. Uh, do you use that money to attract more people so you can fix the operation, or do you use I that know. money? And I. And it kills me that they have to say it like that because it's true the way he said it, but it's also, we are working under a completely and totally different circumstances from where we were at COVID. In COVID, yeah. there was no way to predict that this was going to happen, although they, they wanted to keep everybody on staff because they knew that they were going to need you know, the bodies to fly the airplanes once everything came back. But- there was also a deadline that we gave, you know, the government and everything saying, if you can't do it by this time, we are forced, we have no other choice and we are forced to, to do what we have to do with furloughs because, you know, we have to be able to fund our payroll and, and everything else that goes along with it. Yeah. And if you end up, you know, delaying it a day or two days or a week or something, we have to, it, it takes you know, it takes time to turn the ship around. It's a big operation like we talked about. Right. And so now, you know, here we are, we, we hit that point and we had to do what we had to do. We had a furlough. Uh, I wouldn't say we had to, but we did. You know, we, that's yeah. the path that we chose. That's what, that's how we, they crafted everything out for us. So anyways, we did. Yeah. And yes, we took that money because we were able to bring those pilots back, but the damage had already been done. Yeah. You know, the... The LOAs for, for early outs and stuff like that had already been drafted. And at the time, there was no for, nothing in the foreseeable future for these guys to come back to anyway. Right. right. So it, it was at the time it made sense. But here yeah. we are. Yeah. You know what I mean? Here we are. And all the and revenge flying is coming back, right? People that are it's big like, time. Oh, I've been stuck at home. I got to go on this family yeah. vacation, you know. It's big so, time. Yeah it's bad. So it's, 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 it's rough. And then, you know, I hate to even say anything about it, but now we had this little glitch Yes, <laughs> happened oh. the other day. Great segue. And uh, <laughs> that's creating some serious issues right now too. Yeah. And we're going to yep. get to that here so, in just a moment. I know Alex, you have yeah. maneuvers validation here yep. coming up. So uh, we're going to bid adieu to you. Uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your studying and your rest uh, to join us today. Appreciate it. We're going to hear yeah. from your uh, our meetup towards the end of the show. So I look forward oh, to that yeah. as well. Uh, I'll let you guys know how it goes after it's all said and done. Man. All right. Sounds I good. I know you don't need it. So I'm not even going to say best of luck. Just go ahead and show them what you got, man. You're good right. for it. Thanks, Rob. Take Appreciate care, it. Yep. Have a good right. one, Alex. Bye, guys. Later. Actually, you look, you look much more clear now. That's weird. I'm Because I'm handsome. Anyway. Yeah, yes, you are. Uh, you're a handsome man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the so, pleasure's all yours. You'll be thankful you met me. That's anyway, it. go ahead. I already am, my friend. I already am. <laughs> so this glitch you talked about, this AA yeah. scheduling glitch that throws thousands of pilots to allows them to drop their trips. 
How dare yeah. they, right? How dare right. they? Well, <laughs> it uh, we we were hap- we were listening to this uh, happen at our sister company over there uh, in real time, um, and it was interesting, yeah. you know. And how did you find out? Were you uh, in the middle of any kind of trip at the time, or were you already? I will- no, I was uh, in Indianapolis with my daughter at that volleyball tournament, mm. and um, uh, I was uh, sharing a VRBO with a fellow teammate, I should say. He's not a crew member. Um, he just works for the company and mm. at, a, at a high level uh, in the company, director level. And um, he was going through his emails in the morning like he normally does for work yeah. on a vacation. Yeah. <laughs> And I was kind of just thumbing <laughs> through social media and, and just uh, just looking through the news. And I came across, you know, yeah. this glitch that had taken place. And so I mentioned to him, I said, hey, did you, you hear about this? This sounds like it's going to be a big deal. And he's like, no, what happened? So I kind of, you know, let him on to the story. And he was like, oh, hold on. Let me check with so-and-so. And he came back and he's like, oh, this is a big deal, man. This yeah. is going to create a lot of issues. But anyway... uh I wasn't affected directly. Yeah, me neither. My schedules. I think it, 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 uh, I don't know if you know any details. I don't know very much about it, but basically, you know, pilots bid on their schedules, uh, through a bidding system. We're all, it's a seniority based, um, industry. So the number one pilot in his equipment and base will bid his schedule and then the number two pilot would then bid his schedule and it's all done electronically. And at the end of uh, the bidding cycle, the schedules are awarded and uh, you, you have basically your schedule for the next month. Right. Well, guys like me and probably guys like you will get a schedule. We bid on it, but we don't quite get what we like. So normally uh, the secondary bidding cycle starts and it's called trip trade. So you can trip trade with other pilots or you can trip trade with, with, with a uh, with a schedule of sequences that are um, are that aren't filled, whether it's due to maintenance, uh, not maintenance, due to training, vacation, yeah. whatever the case may be. So you can take the trip that you have, let's say that starts on on a Friday, goes to Saturday and Sunday, and let's say you see another trip that starts on let's say Tuesday, and you can fly Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and have Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. So that's something that I like to do. So I'll try to trade it. Well, the company restricted all those trades from happening yeah. because they were afraid that because of the holiday, 4th of July and all that stuff, that guys were going to you know, basically drop all of the stuff that they have on, over the holiday weekend and choose to fly other days, leaving all those flights on the, on the, uh, on the holiday um, unstaffed. So they, they electronically locked that down from happening well something happened on friday i think it was friday maybe it was thursday the day you know one or two days doesn't make a big difference but something happened where electronically in the scheduling department those trades were allowed to happen right and i think they said over a thousand flights or a thousand schedules uh, we'll have that yeah it's uh 12,000 uh, 12, flights. So I have an article. Let's go through the article. Okay. And then, and then yeah. I was flying and I will kind of uh, fill in okay. some of the gaps there. Uh, but yeah, you pretty much hit the nail on the head. Uh, according to CNBC, they mm-hmm. had an article that came out on July 2nd uh, by Leslie Josephs. And she kind of 
Cast the, the detail down to the, yeah. un, the, the union. Give them this story. I, I think they did. Uh, so American Airlines scheduling glitch that allows pilots to drop thousands of flights uh, in July uh, was the issue. Uh, the key points to this article, I'll just tell you those. Uh, the pilots union said that aviators were able to drop assignments that included 12,000 flights. Uh, Americans said that the most trips uh, were restored. We'll talk about that. And that doesn't expect, uh, that doesn't, uh, and that it doesn't expect an impact to its operation. But Union and American are discussing higher pay for pilots whose trips were reinstated. We'll also talk about that. And a similar issue mm -hmm. occurred in 2017, just before Christmas. And that's exactly what I thought about when I saw yeah, this. The green Christmas. Yep. Yes, exactly. So now you, you mentioned green. The trip trade system or the trip trade with open time system, uh, both mm -hmm. of those systems work on a premise of green, yellow, red, or redder. Now, if the trip you own is a Friday, Saturday, Sunday trip, all of them were turned into what they call redder, meaning mm -hmm. you couldn't trade it away for a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday trip if you tried because those Tuesday, Wednesday, right. Thursday trips were red and the trip that you had mm -hmm was redder. So whenever right. you try like a traffic light system, exactly. red is like, and they have red and redder. So right. that, that's a, people don't understand that either is that you have red and redder. So redder is worse than red. They should call it purple <laughs> <laughs> something. So what happened was the company arbitrarily just said, you know what? Uh, we have staffing problems. We want every, all hands on deck. We're going to make every trip that's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, if it touches those days, they're all going to be redder. That way people can't trade away, and then we're going to have a lot of open time trips, trips that are open, missing a pilot or two on the weekend. We don't want that because most of our flying is done on the weekend during July and August. So they blocked it. And the union sent out an email that day saying, hey, you know, if you were one of these pilots that was affected, you're trying to trade stuff, which is part of our contract. It's part of the way we operate. It's it's a quality of life mm -hmm. Um quality that the contract has that we can trade trips upon availability right. of other trips and we should be able to do that now you can get around this by doing a pilot to pilot trade so like right. rob if you had a trip that you want to get rid of and i had a trip i want to get rid of and we talk to each other and go hey you want to trade and we both said yes then we could fill out a form right. and we would be granted so there are wor workarounds on this mm -hmm. however but they're all contractual they're and, all, and legal going right. through their the agreements. That's not easy to do because, you know, right. that, what are the odds, right? So we have this software that the company has. It's, it's, they call it TTS, TTOT. And so you go in there and you can manually do this. Now you can pick up open time, which mm -hmm. fine, but no one's really doing that right now because we're under contract right. negotiations and we want the company to staff accordingly and pay us accordingly and yeah. all this stuff. So why right. lean forward to help them out? Now, what had happened, uh, this glitch that they're calling it, according to this article, was uh, in the scheduling platform that allowed American airline pilots to drop thousands of July assignments overnight on Saturday. Their union said the headache from the airline as it tries to minimize flight disruptions during a booming travel season. Americans said it didn't expect the problem to affect its operation, including during the busy July 4th holiday weekend. The union and the airline are now discussing additional pay for pilots who drop trips and the airline, and then they were reinstated without their knowledge. And this is according yeah. to the Allied Pilots Association. So what happened was this. Right. The union said, hey, you, you made everything redder, which means you're going to have pilots that say, hey, uh, 
well, I, I can't make that. I have a, a prior commitment. I have a volleyball tournament to go to. So I'm probably exactly. just going to end up calling in sick. And the union said this to the company and the company went, oh, yeah, maybe we should allow people to trade because we have people, we're going to pick up trips anyway. You know, people, people want money. They want to pick up a trip, right? Especially if it's premium pay. Well, someone hits some button. Okay. This is not, a, this is not, in my opinion, okay. It's not a computer glitch. Somebody hit some button and turned all the trips yeah. green. Okay. Mm-hmm. And all it takes is for it to turn green for a second. And now the computer yeah. program goes, Oh, Rob, you put in a, a drop request in the computer, which it was denied because that your trip was redder. You can't drop mm-hmm. a red trip. Right. But now it turned green. So oh, yeah. I'll go ahead and grant that, the computer said, right? Because that's the yep. software. So it grant, times 15,000 times 15,000 pilots that that happened to have drop requests into the computer yes. software. When they found out, holy moly, this is uh, 12,000 flights are now having been dropped. Mm-hmm. They quickly reinstated about 80% of those. They, they just yeah. they give them back exactly. to people. And unfortunately, some yeah. people that legally dropped their trips even before right. the glitch happened, yeah. they had and their trips reinstated as well. So that's kind of what I was going to try to bring up too, so our listeners kind of understand the scenario is that, you know, this whole thing, uh, this whole scheduling and trading and everything, we have to operate with boundaries and with some rules in place because there needs to be a precedent set for the way we schedule our our uh, our trips and everything like that individually so there's some agreed upon um practices that we use one of them is like trip trade um uh, ttot and and a premium picking up premium and trading through pilots that we have to do it a certain way through the company one of those ways is the way we also drop our trips saying i don't want to fly this one if there's staffing levels permit, I'd like to drop this in the open time and let somebody else fly it. Okay. Anybody can just willingly pick it up and then I will be free that weekend. I choose to be free. I could also choose to fly something else if I want to, but that's my choice, but that's within the, the, the laws and bylaws of our contract and trip trading system, and all, all that kind of stuff. So when this glitch occurred, Okay, we're calling it a glitch or a mistake or something like that, but it happened legally. So all those trips, like we were just talking about, 12,000 dropped into open time. So now they have legally dropped into open time. And what the company is doing now that's illegal is replacing those trips back into pilot schedules that they have legally dropped. So the problem is that that's created now is that the pilot is not obligated to fly those trips because they legally dropped them and they were illegally placed back into their schedules. Right. And there has been no legal notification for them to, to that that has been replaced back into the schedule and they have to fly them. Right. So that's where we're kind of sitting now in that, that cloudy you know, area. no man's land and yeah. that cloudy gray other. And the other thing you mentioned is the company is offering premium for these trips and some of them are pretty pretty uh remarkable 200 to 300 percent premium yeah to fly your trip as opposed to the agreed upon 150 percent right so there goes another problem i would love to make more money um i got a 
bank account that, <laughs> that, that could certainly use a lot more money. However, <laughs> the agreed upon premium is 150%. Yeah. So the company is now trying to throw an extra uh, 200 or 300% at you to come fly these trips. I would love to do it, but it's not contractual. So it's, in my opinion, it's not, a, I wouldn't be a good union member if I would drop the trip illegally I drop the trip legally and then turn around right. and then try to, you know, get that trip reinstated back into my schedule illegally and then illegally fly that for 200 or 300 percent. Right. I like the money, but I, I'm not going to do it. So now here's so, here's the, the caveat to it all. Now, we talk about yeah. what's legal and not legal. Now, we're talking there's two different things here. There's FAR legalities in terms of rest in terms of flight yeah. time, duty time issues. And then there's contract right. legality. Now, contract legality right. means, hey, if I signed a contract as a condition of my employment and I'm represented by my pilot's association of whatever it is for whatever mm -hmm. airline, then I should follow my contract. Meaning, if I'm supposed to have 10 hours of rest or 13 hours of rest after a reserve assignment, whatever, in base, then that's what I should have. And when the company calls and says, well, we have a trip for you, but wait a minute, that's only 12 hours of rest and contractually, it's 13, even though FAA, legally it's 10, but contractually it's 13, right. according to this scenario. So I should follow the contract, okay? Because it, it number one, it's if I start bending yeah. the rules and looking the other way yeah. because I want the money, right. then- Some people will say, well, if it's a, a FAR that it's 10 hours, then why is your company contractually 13 hours? Well, the, the FAR is a baseline- that all operators need to work on the minimum, under. the minimum, yeah, the minimum, right. right. And what a lot of people don't understand that the 13 hours for our particular company and our union is because of the type of flying that we do. We have to have the 13 hours because of the long durations of maybe the flights, the week, uh, the, the, the legs, the base, or the sequences, right. and exactly. You, you, so a lot of people don't live in base, so you know now they have to commute, exactly. and so if you have a ten hours between trips and you have to commute home to change and re repack and stuff, ten hours isn't going to cut it. So the the contract work. allows for in, in this particular scenario thirteen hours. Now, mm -hmm. the minute you start accepting a trip that's twelve hours, now you're you're creating a precedence. You're number one, you're breaking the contract. Okay, and right. if you break one rule, it's, you might as well break all the rules. And so you set a precedence. Yeah. In our situation that we're talking about here, where the company, because of a glitch, dropped legally, contractually, was given everyone these these trips that they had in the system that they wanted to drop, so that most people drop. So uh, to be honest with you, they drop so that they can pick up premium, which is another yeah. it's another issue entirely in terms yeah. of ethical and moral standing. Right. Now, I'm not saying it's bad one way or another because we've all we all picked up premium. It's a good way. Right. To, it's a good way to make 150 percent pay. Yeah. Uh, for like one yeah. trip a month or some people play but the game, do, but, but to, to do it do the it whole like month, you would agree legally. Right. right. As long as you're doing it legally and contractually, legally. there's right. no problem. Exactly. With it. Now the company did this and then they go, oops, we made a mistake. It was, it was a computer glitch. Uh, everybody that was granted a drop trip during that midnight run. Okay. It's, it's back on your schedule. Sorry. My bad. Psych. Right. Okay. Now yeah. the union sent out an email that morning at 6am saying, listen, if you were affected by this, we say enjoy your time off. Stay home. You were legally given the time off. You were illegally given it back to you. Now, if you were asleep right. in the middle of the night, you don't check your emails, you may not have even realized that this has happened to you. 
So there's another issue there, okay? Unless you have these third-party apps or, you know, the union has a, a great app that tells you every time your schedule changes. So you would, you would have some kind of um, way to track it. Now, according to the article uh, that they went on with a quote from the union president, Captain Ed uh, Seicher, I think his name is. He's a brand new union president. He was just brand elected. New. Yeah. yeah, brand new. Like, like first week. Ago. Yeah, first week. Yeah. He started his term on Friday. There you go. He told Americans <laughs> roughly one. 15,000 pilots Saturday night that American Airlines CEO Robert Isom said that he is committed to paying an inconvenience premium. That's what you were talking about, a 200% premium to mm -hmm. aviators whose trips American put back on their schedules after the glitch. To Robert Isom's credit, this is a quote, he called me four times today to commit to mitigating the damage from this debacle. Seicher uh, wrote late Saturday. We started mm -hmm. at 200% override pay, although the details of his of this pay are still in the subject of negotiations, and there's no guarantee on the details or the amounts. So this has to be put in writing contractually. A TA or a tentative agreement must be released, and then everyone will get the 200% premium pay or yeah. whatever they end up agreeing upon. Yeah. Well, they have to vote. Yeah, they have vote to vote. The, the, yeah. the master executive council has to vote for the union and whatever they settle on then the pilots will either be paid that or retroactively paid that um right. as a premium because of the inconvenience that the companies put on them now whether or not you as a pilot choose to fly uh after this whole thing or stay home is up to you and the union that's has made it you. perfectly clear that if you choose to fly that's it's not the union's not going to look at it as a bad thing. And if you choose to stay home, they're not going to look at it as a bad thing because both scenarios, I mean, at the end of the day, we have a, a company to run, right? And we have a company exactly. to be a part of. We're, we're very much a part of that because without us, the airplanes don't go anywhere. Yeah. So with all this fiasco, you know, mm -hmm. um, it, there's a lot going on. It's a terrible glitch. We mentioned the glitch that happened in 20, what was it 2017, the Christmas glitch yeah the green christmas uh, same yep. thing happened uh at that time uh there were i believe it was a period where everybody that would did the same thing everyone that wanted vacation or, or time off was granted time off over over the holiday over the holiday weekend and then yep. they gave 150 percent pay for anyone that would pick up that flying again because they didn't they didn't say it was a glitch it was a mistake. Someone got someone. I'm sure got fired over that. Um, <laughs> they did. Someone pushed the red button. Don't push yeah. the button. And yeah, what or, happened or was they, they uh, said, "Well, it's an they open time." Conveniently resigned. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and yep. they said, "Well, if you pick it up, we'll give you 150 percent pay." And pilots were like, "Well, they just, I just dropped this trip. Well, I guess I could go pick up my trip again and get 150 yeah. percent." But see, that was more contractual because. It was right. a voluntary uh, thing. And yes, a lot of flights were canceled and delayed and, and they had a hard time that, that holiday weekend. And it was yeah. kind of embarrassing for the company as well. And yeah. this was an effort to, to kind of minimize the embarrassment, minimize the effects of oops. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a, uh, it's a, we're back to where we were in 2017 and, you know, unfortunately you know, the, the current atmosphere between the union pilot and its pilots and the company are, um, not in a good spot. I think, uh, you know, I think the, the, the current uh, CEO, 
uh, Robert Isom, you know, he, I think his intent was good, but I don't think he, um, he fully, all the things that he asked for are something that needs to be negotiated out in our actual contract, not as a band-aid to the situation because the situation happened under normal operating circumstances and there needs to be contingencies set in place for situations like this. It's not our fault that somebody screwed up right. in the scheduling department or somebody screwed up in the planning department and they, you know, scheduled all these flights with not enough staffing. That's there's nothing we can do about that. We have a job to do, but we also have a life to live, you know? So I have plenty of things that I need to be doing. I got two teenage daughters going to all these volleyball tournaments and getting ready to do college. That's why I work. So I can earn enough money for the, for them to do that. But I also need to be here for them uh, during their special time. So I need to be able to move my schedule around um, as required. And if right. I can't do that, I'm going to go through the other processes going through the chief pilot office to get time off and stuff like that. Um, and then I use my sick time when I'm sick. Uh, so uh, I, I am able to make my schedule work the way I need to, to make it work for myself. And, yeah. um, you know, there's other pilots have different motives and different ways they operate. And I don't agree with them telling me how I should fly my schedule. Right. Because they're I, you. I have to do it. They're not me and they don't right. know the way, the parameters that I need to operate under. So, um, you know, it's, it's one of those very sensitive things right now. And it's, I just kind of hope that, you know, we get through this and which we will. Um, but, you know, and something on paper comes out between company and the management that addresses this thing and all the many other scheduling uh, challenges that we've had in the yeah. past, which is what they're currently what's really currently hurting us right now is, is the way they schedule. Yeah. Schedule us. So it schedule seems us like and it's utilize panic us, so. scheduling and panic uh, flying and panic staffing and panic everything. And it all just seems like very um, reactive, you know, and, and that, we're sure sick is. and tired of it because we, we as pilots, it's not like, like you mentioned, it's not like we have a nine to five job. And at, right. at 5 p.m., you know, we're home, we're going to have dinner. Maybe we missed the recital, no. but we can at least be home for dinner and talk about, hey, how was your recital today, honey? And, and our families yeah. get to see our faces. We're gone for yeah. three, four, five days at a time where we're yeah. gone. And it's not like we're sitting yeah. at some hotel we can FaceTime. It's like, no, we're flying airplanes for like, yeah. you know, I just did finish this four-day trip. Too. Actually, it turned into a like, – it's actually a five-day trip because it was a red eye on the tail end of it. But I mean mm. – yeah. that's doing red eyes and being exhausted yeah. on the layover. And you're yeah. like, Oh, well you're in paradise, well, told, but I'm sleeping. Yeah. I, you know, I, I kind of, I always, I always, uh, reemphasize that with my wife and my kids when they travel, for instance, they just traveled back from Boston the other day mm -hmm. and they, they got, it wasn't the first departure. I think it was like the 8 AM departure, but nonetheless, you know, they were forced to get up, you know, 5 AM East coast time, which is really 4 AM their time over here. And then go to the airport, travel, come here. And then by the time they got to the house, it was like two or or, or one o'clock in the afternoon. And they were exhausted. I mean, they were just like, oh, my God, I need to, you know, go. And I said, now, that is one of the flights that I would do that day. I would, in a work, I would do three of those. I said, so imagine my energy level when I get to the hotel 
or when I come home at the end of the of the trip, that is my fatigue level. I am exhausted. I'm hungry. I'm tired. You know, my brain is just dead. No yeah. power tools are allowed. Right. <laughs> well said. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or long distance drives. I am done. I'm not going to cook. I'm going to pick up food or have something delivered. Yeah. Um, and that's just the mindset that I'm in. And I, sometimes I'm better and than others some days, you know, I'm yeah. sure you agree, but, uh, anyways, I don't know how I got off on that tangent, but basically, yeah, it's, yeah. it's exhausting. The job is exhausting. It's not, uh, yes, it is fun. It is, can be glamorous at times and we do get paid very well for what we do. Um, but we do have to work and it's tough. It yeah. really is. It's all, not all rainbows all and unicorns, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, thank you for sharing that with us. Um, you know, the, we try to explain our schedules, our lifestyles, our, our, yeah. you know, all this stuff, our quality of life to friends yeah. and family all the time. And I can see them, you know, nodding their head going, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's, but they really, yeah. they don't understand. <laughs> and the closest yeah. anyone can come to understanding is family, like, like what your wife, you know, just came back from Boston and, and they can understand that. And it's important to kind of point that out in a kind way to say, yeah. Hey, you know, that I just want you to stop and think about how you feel right now. And imagine doing that for four days, like you said, four days in a row, just one aspect of the yeah. job. And then I come home and you got to have your time. Your, your family has to understand yeah. this because those that don't, it creates major yeah. problems. Um, yeah. and then that's part of the problem yeah. of, of aviation yeah. careers is yeah. family. Now let's follow this up though. If you're listening, you're a new listener or listening and you're thinking about coming into the industry, don't let this, uh, you know, scare you away from it. It's still a great job. It's manageable. I, I had a young, yeah. it's manageable, right? You just have to have your ex, uh, manage your expectations, uh, when you come in, uh, there was a young, young man that was at the volleyball tournament and was was the son of uh, uh, was a was the brother of one of the players on my daughter's team. Mm. Um, he was uh, I think he was fifteen, and he he you know he found out that I was a pilot, so he came up to me and was like, "Hey, I want to be a pilot too." And I sat down with him for hours, and I just chatted him up about you know the process of becoming a pilot and yeah. things you have to do, and then the lifestyle and stuff like that. And, you know, you could just see his eyes lighting up big. And I'm like, man, you're going to be the perfect pilot one day. You know, you just keep plugging away at it. But, um, you know, I didn't want to scare him with, you know, I, I kind of, you know, teased him with some of the, the downsides of, of the industry because you have to. You can't, mm. you can't just sugarcoat, sugarcoat everything because um, I'd hate for him to come back and, you know, 10 years saying, man, <laughs> I don't you know why lied God, to I me. <laughs> you lied your ass off to me. I was like, no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh anyway there's there's people still out there that want to do this and, I, and I <laughs> do it it's a great job man it's a, it's a it's a fun job hopefully we can make it better you know and yeah. that's kind of our kind of our our goal as uh you know aviators moving on is to make it a better place for you know the a aviators that are coming in behind us so yeah. so you know, listener out there if, you, if you're listening and picking up what we're putting yeah. down here it's we're trying yeah. to explain all the realities of what yeah. a professional aviator can expect in yeah. today's marketplace. marketplace. And that is the mission of this podcast. Now, we appreciate yeah. you listening. Uh, we love talking about this stuff. We love it when we have uh, featured guests on and they can give us highlights on their journey. Like like we recently had yeah. Keith, Captain Keith on. Um, 
giving us his highlights and and everything he's got going on. He's just amazing, amazing character. Yeah. And, and not to mention all the others that we had over the last 113 shows. You know, it's a, it's absolutely a pleasure to sit here and be able to have these conversations both with you. Definitely. Uh, and the others, and and with all of the listeners out there, um, you know, just the yep. feedback has been tremendous, uh, such positivity, um, and I, I just I feel so grateful to be able to do that with you. Yep. One, uh, we have just a few more uh, topics to okay. discuss. Are you okay with the time? Yes. Uh, okay. Do it. Well, I think it was about six months ago where we uh, first were talking about this next story. Uh, Captain C.B. Sully Sullenberger, or Chelsea Sullenberger, was the captain that piloted the miracle flight over the Hudson. Um, and he was com commissioned to, I think it would be the right word, uh, to be the ICAO ambassador for the United States. And that was only six months ago. Uh, but I came across an article from Flying Magazine indicating he has stepped down from his position. Uh, from Flying Magazine, uh, Julie Boatman uh, wrote a story on June 24th entitled Sully Steps Down from ICAO Role. Retired U.S. airline captain C.B. Sully Sullenberger held the ambassador position for only six months. In an unexpected development on the global aerospace stage, Captain Sullenberger has stepped down from his position as the ICAO ambassador or the International Civil Aviation Organization. He only served for about six months. The retired U.S. Airways captain announced on Thursday that he would depart from the organization on July 1st. He'd been confirmed to the post in December of 2021 in Montreal. In a statement to Reuters, Sullenberger indicated that he was relinquishing his role and that it was not an easy decision but did not offer a reason for his departure after just six months. And you, of course, if unless you've been living under a rock, uh, you know that Sully Sullenberger was the captain that landed the U.S. Airways Flight 1549 and Airbus A320 on January 15, 2009, on the Hudson River in New York after departing from LaGuardia and hit a flock of birds that took both engines out of commission. He was also very much outspoken on his commentary on topics from the lure of an airline career to the fate of the Boeing 737 MAX. We'll keep an eye on this story and see if we get any kind of reasoning from Sully on why he decided to step down. Yeah, and just one more topic uh, that we wanted to talk about, actually a couple more uh, before we wrap up the mm -hmm. show today. Um, this one, I, I think I found it and I shared it with uh, the Aviation Business Information Board on uh, Facebook, Kyle's page. Uh, and it affected me because at the time mm -hmm. I was flying or getting ready to fly. And when I found this article and I read it uh, kind of towards that cruise, we had something, some time I was reading this article. Defects found in the internal components of 13 CFM Leap 1A engines. Now, yeah. not 13 total, 13 types of the CFM oh. Leap 1 engines. Uh, this is an wow. article from Aerotime, uh, aerotime.aero. This is an article that came out on the 1st of July, 2022, from Gabrielle Petruscati. Petruscati. Yeah, that's a tongue twister. Um, defects found. Uh, the components of the of 13 CFM Leap 1A engines. 
this was uh, information released from the FAA. The Federal Aviation mm. Administration has issued a new notice of proposing rulemaking, or an NPRM. We need more acronyms. After the U.S. Mm. regulator identified defects in the internal components of 13 CFM International Leap 1A turbofan engines. According to the FAA, notice of proposed rulemaking, which was issued on June 30th of 2022, indicates that certain engine spools and discs were found to be in an unsafe condition. That's mm. not something you want to hear if you're an aircraft no. manufacturer or an airline flying around these engines. The issue... Pilot. <laughs> yeah, right? The issue was detected in 13 of the CFM Leap 1A high-bypass turbofan engines, the Leap 1A23, the 24, the 24E1, the A126, the A126CJ, the 1A26E1, as well as a bunch of others. The one that really caught my eye was the one that is in our Airbus A321neos. Mm -hmm. I believe it's the uh, 1A35A. The regulator mm. explained that these defects could result in the release of uncontained debris, damage the engine, and damage the aircraft if not addressed. The issue was detected during enhanced inspections performed by the engine manufacturer, CFM International. The FAA noted in the NPRM. The FAA was notified by the manufacturer of the, def the detection of melt-related freckles in the billet which may reduce the life of certain compressor rotor stages 6 through 10 spools. The HPT, or high-pressure turbine rotor inner turbine. stage seals, the HPT rotor stage 2 discs, the low-pressure turbine stage 1 disc, the LPT stage 2 disc, the LPT stage 3 disc, and 4 disc. <laughs> the FAA explained that in order to incorporate reduced life limits for these parts, the proposed directive would require revising the airworthiness limitations section of the applicable Leap 1A engines shop manual alongside the operator's existing approved continuous airworthiness maintenance program, hmm. or the CAMP. Uh, this yeah. proposed AD would require the removal of certain low-pressure turbine stage 4 discs identified by a serial number prior to their new life limits, the FA wrote. This... In total, will affect 256 engines installed on U.S. registered narrow-body aircraft. Yeah. yeah, so I gather what it sounds like is they're going to have each engine has a, um, a calendared uh, inspection and replacement time frame. So let's say in two years you have to replace the low-pressure turbine blades whatever stage that they talked about four five and six mm -hmm. because of wear and play and that's you have to do it every you know two years well it sounds like they're gonna have to do it every earlier than two years so yeah are, you know just picking an arbitrary time let's say a year so yeah that's a lot of engines and a lot of maintenance and yeah. a lot of especially at a time where we need airplanes we need these airplanes <laughs> flying, and now you have an unscheduled early inspection of an aircraft where they have to take apart the entire engine. We're yeah. talking of millions of dollars worth of maintenance yeah. per what engine. What they'll probably do is, is uh, I, I know they have inventory of engines, and it's not like they have a whole bunch of them sitting around. I mean, these things are millions of dollars a piece, but they, you know, just to keep the, op plane, uh, the, in the airline operating, 
you know, and this is part of the, the moving pieces that we talked about in operating an airline. Uh, you, you do have spare engines laying around. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't just say laying around. They have, they're around in strategical places. But anyway, uh, I would imagine that if those engines fall into that serial, serial number, um, they would actually go ahead and get those engines ready. Right. And then when the airplane comes in for its service, swap the engines out, take the bad ones out, put the new ones in get those other ones ready and kind of do like the, uh, the old, uh, Rob Peter to pay Paul kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and keep the airplanes flying as they come in for their, uh, mechanical checks and and chains. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it affects, it affects not only the Neo, but also the max fleet. The max uses the leap, the leap engines too. So that's, uh, you know, outside of our (laughs) Airbus world, it also affects that, that world too. So, yeah. It's a pretty big deal, but it's good that they find stuff like this because this is how you keep yeah. the uh, uh, aviation safe. You know, you, the the uh, you know, there's people that are working behind the scenes, and uh, they keep us in the air and they keep us from having an accident because of stuff like this. So that's good on them. Yeah, glad yeah. they're there. Yeah, and it's great that a manufacturer would release this intel to the FAA and say, "Hey, we found yeah. a an issue." Um, that really yeah. says wonders about the reputation of CFM yeah. and, and you know that whole manufacturing process. Yep, yeah. that's, right. that's right. Well, in cool. our our last uh, story, uh, I came across mm-hmm. this one online, and I, at first I thought, "What the heck is this? Uh, is this real? Is this from a while ago?" Uh, yeah, it's real. Just as a reminder, that security is always an issue with us as airline pilots. Um, we always mm. want to consider security. Now, obviously, there's security sensitive information that we are privy to that, you know, under the penalty of penalty of law, federal law, we cannot discuss publicly, not even with our family, a lot of our security protocols. But security right. is always should always be on our mind, not just as pilots, but as passengers, as employees, as even enthusiasts. You see something, I, they always say, say something. I say, you see something, do something. Just yeah. make a phone call, even if it's, you know, do something, get in the way, yeah. uh, because it, it's, it's absolutely crucial that we always consider safety and security. And luckily, uh, all the incidences that we were dealing with during the pandemic have slowed down significantly. Uh, go figure. Yeah. Don't require people right. to wear a mask. People calm the hell down. Uh, but yeah. there's footage that went viral of an air marshal that was pulling a gun on passengers while standing in front of the cockpit, guarding the cockpit door. It did not happen here in the U.S., and it did happen over a month ago, but the incident was tweeted and recently went viral. So I just wanted Hmm. to uh, show a little bit to you. I know we can kind of just hear what's going on, Um, but this is what happened when a security guard... uh, that was protecting the airplane cockpit with a gun. The incident allegedly took place several months back, but the footage is now going viral on a Jordanian security officer pulling a gun on passengers in the galley in first class in order to keep them away from the jet's cockpit. In the video, you can see that the cockpit door opened and closed, and then the passengers repeatedly try to come up to the cockpit to enter it while the security officer keeps passengers away with his gun. And Hmm. someone... now. We're, we're going to talk a little bit about, more about this flight um, and, and what was really going on. It was actually a chartered flight, um, but it's, 
I think it's more of a cultural thing that led up to this, uh, but definitely a high stress environment. And let me share this with all of you. What we're seeing is a security guard is guarding the cockpit from the first class galley. A pilot looks like just went into the cockpit. The door shut behind him. The door is now secure, but the guard has his firearm pointed at the passengers that are visibly upset. His other free hand has a stop motion saying, get back, get back. And it's a very, very traumatic scene here. Don't worry, Mohammed. Relax, relax. Now, culturally, uh, this loud nature of you know what was going on here is not unusual. And in an article from One Mile at a Time, uh, they kind of dive into what actually they feel is was happening here. This is mm -hmm. an article from Ben Schlapping uh, from June seventeenth, and in it. He says the incident happened on Jordanian Aviation, which is a private charter airline based in Amman. The airline operates worldwide charter services. The video was filmed several months back, um, and this happened on a charter flight from Saudi Arabia to Nigeria. This was allegedly an Umrah or Umrah flight, a U M R A H, Umrah flight, which was a pilgrimage for religious passengers. According to reports, the flight had to divert to a different airport in Nigeria, and the airline tried to offload passengers there. The travelers weren't happy with this diversion point and the carrier's inability to get them to their final destination. Once the plane was on the ground, passengers wanted to speak to the captain. However, Jordanian law prohibits passengers from entering the cockpit, and it's standard for Jordanian airlines to have a security officer on board. So when the passengers tried to enter the cockpit, the security officer tried to keep them away with his gun. Looking at Jordanian's aviation's fleet, plus the layout of the galley on this airplane, it is assumed that the plane in question was a 34-year-old Boeing 767-200ER with registration code Juliet Yankee, Juliet Alpha Lima, which has quite a history. If you want to Google something, Google that. The big question J -A -L. is... J-A-L. That's it, J-A-L. Alpha Lima. So the big question here is why passengers tried to enter the cockpit. According to some reports, the flight was supposed to operate to Kano, Nigeria, or K-A-N, but diverted to Yola, Nigeria, Y-O-L, and passengers were told to disembark. For what it's worth, the two airports are 330 miles apart. There are conflicting stories as to why the diversion happened, though. The only other comment from the airline is that there is a threat to prosecute anyone who tries to harm the company's reputation by fabricating rumors related to this incident. Ooh. So the bottom line is there's a video. It went viral. Uh, the backstory of what happened is really not truthfully known and one can only speculate um, but regardless of the age of these reinforced cockpit doors you'd think that the cockpit wouldn't have to be protected by someone pointing a gun at people or do you hmm. so you know was yeah. the security officer justified to you know pull out his weapon and, and aim it at passengers to tell them to get back you know, you have a bunch of these Nigerians and there's religious pilgrimage, which should be a relatively peaceful event, that are upset because, well, they landed 330 miles 
away from their original destination. And the airplane tried, or the airline tried to say, okay, well, you're close enough. You know, <laughs> you're, <laughs> hey, you're close enough. Don't worry about yeah. it. Well, how am I supposed to yeah. get to this place I'm supposed to be? Well, you're close enough. You figure it out. This uh, is probably geez. what happened. And then, of course, they were unhappy, wanted to talk to the captain, which even happens here in the U.S., right? People tried to talk yeah. to the captain. They're on the ground. It's not like they're right. in route, but it was yeah. the jet bridge door attached. You know, we don't know if the jet bridge yeah. was attached to the door and the door was open. We don't know that. Um, so there's a lot going on here, a lot to unravel. The yeah. Just the video that you and I got to see, um, it's pretty alarming. Yeah, they look pretty agitated. Yeah, they look pretty agitated. It's hard to know, you know, the context of the whole story and what led up to it. Obviously, we know where they ended up, <laughs> but yeah. uh, you know, who who knows what was there? Other contributors that got them all fired up that way, you know? Right. And yeah, so yeah, it's it's definitely a tense situation. It seems like yeah. Um, what would I, you I know, do? I know my I know my family is Puerto Rican. They I've seen them get in the you know, get a little excited like that on, on, on sporting events and stuff like that. So, <laughs> so I want to talk to the know, captain. <laughs> yeah. It could be cultural, you know, it could be hereditary, but yeah. Um, yeah, man, those are, you hate to see that happen, you know? And like I said, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to talk about that whole thing when you don't really know everything about it. And we have that little, you know, 45 second, a minute clip. Yeah. And it's obviously right in the heat of things. So you don't know what, how, how it all began, but right. Yeah. I just hope we'll never have that scenario here in, here in uh, the United States. Cause that would definitely become uh news, you know, headline news. Yeah. That, that's major. <laughs> so, uh, and especially yeah. now in this day and age with everyone with their recording studio in their pocket. Yeah. Yeah. It would make yeah. news quick, but uh, last, last thing I wanted to do was, uh, share some audio from mm -hmm. a meetup, uh, that, uh, cool. I had with Alex and, uh, one of his, uh, training partners, uh, that I got to meet. Mm -hmm. Um, we went to dinner, uh, the night that I was there in, uh, Dallas for my recurrent training. Alex said, yeah, man, I'm, I'm available in the evening too. Let's get together. So, um, cool. yeah, we, we got together and had a pretty good meal there at one of my favorite places. Uh, El Phoenix, I believe it's called. Yeah. Uh, nice. And here's the audio from that. Here we are at El Phoenix in Irving, Texas, at a meetup, kind of El Promptu meetup, I would say. <laughs> um, actually, down here for some recurrent training at the Legacy Airlines Training Center this week. Today was my uh, initial. Uh, recurrent ground school this is the only ground school day of recurrent um, it's one day of recurrent ground school and three simulator events and one of our friends of the show and host alex d said hey i'm gonna be flying in on the day you have ground school let's meet up so here we are at el phoenix in texas one of my favorite mexican restaurants i've been coming here since my days at sandpiper uh, occasionally, we'd get together after class with you know a dozen or so pilots, and we'd you know hobble over here from the uh, hotel, and we'd have some just fantastic meals. And I think today was absolutely no different. Uh, Alex, it's been really cool to you know, follow your journey so far on the show, and you know, thank you for having the idea of meeting up with me. 
Yeah, Tony, it's uh, great, great to be over here. Great to be out back in Dallas area. Uh, I got to spend some time at home with the, the family while uh, I'm on break in between my ground lessons and in between the Sims. So we're at a point now where uh, I have a day break tomorrow and I hit Sim Lesson 1 hard on uh, Saturday running uh, at uh, six o'clock in the evening is my sim time. So should be fun, should be a good time to be able to start actually putting all that ground knowledge into to some good practice. This is your first sim? First sim, first sim in the, the 175. So. And what's, what's your slot time? Six o'clock in the evening. So you're gonna go till late. 10? Yeah. yeah. It's perfect though, because I'm more of a night owl than a, the early morning rise so I figure six o'clock gives enough time in the day to actually get stuff done and then roll right into a sim lesson so yeah, and when you uh, you text me you're like hey I'm, I'm flying in and I'm gonna go to the curb and I'm gonna hop on the van and we'll meet up and I was like oh yeah good luck because the hotel van yesterday I waited almost 45 minutes from when we were on the curb ready to go to the hotel to when they finally picked me up and I told you yeah give it an hour it's gonna be a while and you did not make it to the hotel did you no so uh, I uh, I was waiting for the hotel van and I decided to text my buddy Mike and I was like hey so what's going on you know what I know Mike wanted to meet up with us for dinner and all that and I was like hey so what's going on he's like you know what don't wait for the van uh, hop on the employee shuttle bus, go down to the south parking lot, and I'll meet you down there, and we can head uh, down and pick Tony up. So I haven't even been to the hotel to check in yet, and I'm uh, sitting here now with Mike and you at El Phoenix. And speaking of, uh, you told me that you know Mike wants to get together with us, and uh, today I made a new friend. Uh, Mike, you know, welcome to the Spock I Did podcast. Yeah, I appreciate it, Tony. I've been listening to you and Alex have a good time, and uh, you know, enjoy kind of learning what's going on with you and, and where you're taking the, the program and all of that. And thought, hey, let's check it out, meet this guy. And so uh, it's been enjoyable. Thank you. And, you know, the first time that Alex mentioned you to me, he was sending me photos from your place. And I was like, where are you? Are you at a museum? Where are you? He's like, I'm at my buddy's house. I'm like, does he own an airport? What's going on? And your place is very impressive. How did you come across to have such a really nice airport home here in Texas? You know, actually, Texas has a lot of airport communities in it. And I've lived at a different one in the Austin area starting in 2000, uh, but had been uh, basing an airplane at one up near Justin, Texas, uh, near Fort Worth Alliance. And... Uh, made some friends up there and one came on the market and I jumped on it. You know, I was IT at the time and um, was fortunate to be able to uh, be at the right place at the right time and, and have the money to do it. And so I picked it up and, uh, you know, if you, you have a big hangar, you, you have to fill it with projects. And well, Alex got to see my multiple projects. So <laughs> there's a lot going on in that hangar. You'll have to come out and hang out sometime. That would be great. Um, you know, and, We've had some other aircraft builders on the show before um, working on their projects, and I just actually texted uh, John uh, Gruber today because to, I've been following his Lancer Legacy build, um, and you know it comes and goes with his schedule, but the fact that he's been making such strides in his build, we hope to have him on the show again. What is the 
the, pro the project that you're working on the most right now? Other than training on the uh, 175 at Sandpiper with Alex, uh, that, that's been consuming most of my time lately. Um, what I really want to get back to is the Yak 52. Uh, I picked up Yak 52 last August um, because I've always had a passion for warbirds. Um, my mother actually got me addicted to them, probably six or seven years old going to air shows, and finally picked one of those up last year, enjoyed the heck out of it, uh, just due for condition inspection and some upgrades and things like that. It's just a matter of time. So when you're starting something new like your first jet training and your first regional job, it's, uh, it's time consuming. So, But I do look forward to getting back on to getting the yak going and uh, have you guys out and go take you for a ride. Oh, that's great. And do you have the traditional instrumentation in the Yak, or have you given it some upgrades? <laughs> it is mostly original. So um, if you don't read Russian, that's okay, because there's green and yellow and red marks on the <laughs> on the instrumentation. It is a little different, though, because the vertical speed indicator is in meters per second. Uh, so that's a little different. But flying an airplane is flying an airplane. And you get the chance to fly one and you move the stick and you see what moves and it all makes sense. It's really not hard. Um, the altimeter has been changed, but airspeed is in kilometers an hour and things like that. You'd have no problem adjusting to it. Yeah, I was able when I was uh, doing my training in, in Phoenix many, many years ago, a few decades ago, actually. <laughs> um, we had a couple yaks at the, uh, at the airport where I had my flight school there, um, or at least where I was teaching. And I was told that the artificial horizon is blue below and brown above. Is that is that how yours is too? It it is, and honestly, I don't even turn it on. It's on its own inverter. It it's it's a big, power hungry instrument. I don't even turn it on because I only use it during the day in, in VFR conditions and just look outside. But yep, it it would really mess you up if you were in the clouds. And it's an instrument trainer. That's that's one of the things they used it for. And uh, you would definitely have to learn that specific way of doing it. Yes, Alex, because you were inverted. <laughs> Waiting for that one. So, and I was told that the reasoning that the Russians designed the Yak with this, you know, inverted with the blue below the horizon line and the brown above was because the ice is white and a lot of the areas up in the tundra area of the world is with white snow on the ground and they fly at night and so it's dark above. Is that really the reason? You know, that is a bit of trivia that I don't know the answer to, but it would be fascinating to look that up to confirm. So I don't know. Honestly, that wouldn't surprise me if that were the true reason because surprisingly, we don't give the Russians enough credit. They built some pretty good airplanes back in the day. So Yaks and then all the way through the MiG series, they're, they're, they know how to build an airplane too. They don't waste, they don't, they don't waste any energy on um, cosmetics or attractiveness. It's all utilitarian. So. That is right. When Yuri was a cosmonaut in uh, the space station, he did not use million-dollar pen and write in space. He used pencil because uh, right just fine. <laughs> right. The, I love the story that the American NASA scientists spent millions and millions of dollars to spend all this money of designing this pen that'll write in zero G and upside down and light left and right and right to left. And the Russians are like, yeah, we use pencil. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, gentlemen, thank you. It's been nice to, to get together here tonight and have a good meal. Um, El Phoenix, it's, it's a, just a wonderful place to have a good meal. We'll put links in the show notes. 
And uh, gentlemen, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good to meet you, Tony. Look forward to hanging out again. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to take you up on that uh, Yak uh, project. Maybe in about a year when you're off probation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when I don't get junior manned all the time. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, when you're making thousand dollars an hour, you know, oh. over at that sandpiper. Well, folks, back to you in the studio. Aviator Tony, take it away. That's awesome, man. That was a good uh, sound clip. Yeah, now we had a good time. I really enjoyed meeting Mike. Um, and Alex had sent me pictures or video from his place and all the airplanes in the, in the hangar and everything. It's just amazing. Uh, a total yeah. a total aviation nerd's dream. An yeah. av geek yeah. would, would look at that and go, oh, goals. Yeah, <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, yep. Rob, thank you so much um for for spending this time with me uh every chance we get thank you so much to rob to alex as well for joining us today uh and to kyle and roger who couldn't make it today well you guys just missed out what can i tell you but thank you gentlemen as well uh and do you enjoy listening to our podcast during this flight i hope so then pay it forward and share this podcast with a friend or someone who you might think would enjoy it. Make sure to subscribe and follow the Squawk Out In podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. We also love li receiving listener feedback. You can send us an email or even an audio clip right from our website, and that's found at www.aviatortony.com. That's Alpha, Victor, the number eight, Romeo, Tango, Oscar, November, Yankee.com. You can help produce the show by sending us a few bucks, and you can do that right there from the homepage via many different ways, including PayPal. Uh, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram users, you can also find us under the Squawk I Didn't Podcast. And one final thank you to all of you for taking the time to listen to these grateful aviators. Keep the dirty side down out there, be safe, and take care of each other. Bye, everyone. See ya. <laughs> Later.
Doc. Oh, I mean, I'm just not sure. It's an entirely different kind of flying. flying. 